I'll get right to it. President Biden says that President Putin has decided to invade Ukraine. Is he correct? There is no innovation and there is no such plans. It was fixed in Russian documents that we conveyed to our American friends and State Department. Russia has publicly decided, it, uh, declared its uh, readiness to continue the diplomatic efforts to resolve all outstanding issues. Russian troops are on a sovereign Russian uh, territory. We don't threaten anyone. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome, welcome, welcome. As I said once, I'll say it again. Hope you guys are doing well on this Monday evening. We are coming to you live on a Monday, February 21st, 2021. And uh, we're glad to have you guys on board with us. First of all, happy President's Day, ladies and gentlemen. I hope everyone is finding uh, their three-day weekends this well. I mean, you know, since this entire thing with a thing, you know... To another live edition? Hey, quiet down over there, you. Uh, you know, since this entire thing with the uh, thing... What was I saying? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that thing. The, uh... Um, the pandemic, it's like we have like three day holidays, four day, five day, six day, seven day, eight day, nine day. Some people of us just went on a permanent holiday, but nevertheless, ladies and gentlemen, according to our calendars, it's another three day weekend. All right. So I hope everyone's having a great president's day this day. And uh, we know that day is just about over, but uh, for those of you who are still essential enough to work, or perhaps you were uh, located somewhere in one of those uh, states that just never shut down, well, I hope you enjoyed your day off today. A lot of good stuff for you guys, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I mean, uh, you might have noticed we started off with a little bit of a teaser there at the head of the show. And that is to say, ladies and gentlemen, we have, uh, we, we have, we have arrived at that episode. We're going to do a Russia, Ukraine, NATO, United States, Deep State, Donbass, Donetsk, Luhansk specific episode for you guys this evening. So I hope you all are ready for the gab. Uh, and that's not the social network I'm talking about either. It's just, you know, the good old talk we do around the water cooler. Now, I'll have you know for sure, guys, I actually recently just opened up a Gab account for Mr. CTV and the C-Report. It's going nowhere pretty quickly, uh, in case any of you all wanted to know. But another thing, uh, I don't know if it's the talk of the town or not, but I imagine it would be, uh, is that uh, we also have Truth Social has gone live today, ladies and gentlemen. Now, I don't know what skin color you have to be or what class citizen you have to be, but uh, I'm still on a waiting list, ladies and gentlemen, at least the last that I checked. Ha ha! Just kidding. Well, no, I am on a waiting list, but, uh, <laughs> you know, whenever, uh, whenever it became available to first download Truth Social or to, uh, I guess, um, how would you say, uh, subscribe to it via whatever phone apparatus it is that I care to be using at the moment. 
I did so immediately, and of course it did not appear until what? Until it was ready to go live. So, long about midnight last night, I noticed, or perhaps it was a day, it had to have been about last night. No, it was the day before. It was, it was like a full day before I noticed the Truth Social tile appeared on my phone. And I was like, oh, okay, so this means, uh, this means something's happening, right? There's got, there's some kind of, this is, this is, this is sudden. This is sudden. We heard Truth Social was going to open and be ready for business on, uh, uh, February towards the end of this month. And well, here you go, guys, on, uh, President's Day 2022. We have Truth Social now live. So uh, immediately, of course, this was after midnight last night. I was attempting to get into my account or to create one, I should say. Well, needless to say, ladies and gentlemen, this thing has got to be extremely popular already because uh, I just didn't get any of my email alerts. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Uh, Two hours later, it would send me my email confirmation and then it would say that my uh, confirmation coin was expired. So this happened probably like three or four times. And then finally about midday today, or probably a little after lunch, afternoon, uh, I got a notification uh, uh, to try it again. I did. I was able to create my account. And then I got put into a waiting list while they created my account. I think I was like number 238,465 or something like that. And then I received another email notification a few hours later saying that I was currently 138,229. So, well, ladies and gentlemen, we'll get on there as soon as we can. I'm pretty excited and pretty interested to see what uh, Truth Social will have to offer for people like me and you. And also uh, our uh, content creators abroad and our digital warriors and, uh, you know, our truth sayers, everyone that just wants to uh, participate. And we'll see what the conversation on Truth Social looks like. I'm sure it will be interesting. I'm sure that uh, if it is what it seems like it will be, there will be plenty of room for conversation on the website. Sans the censorship, of course. And, uh, of course, well, I guess we'll, 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 we'll take it from there, ladies and gentlemen. So, uh, you know, I'd actually thought about opening up today's show, uh, with like a president's day song or like some kind of history, or maybe I could dig for some speech, but I mean, you know, president's day, you know, between Lincoln's birthday and Washington's birthday lies 10 days that they decided to call president's day. Well, you know, I take it back. I take it back. 10 days between the two presidents' birthdays. And then, of course, there's like maybe two other presidents who have a birthday in the month of February. Then, of course, you got, you know, the Martin Luther King stuff going on there, too. So, well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I think as I was reviewing the history of President's Day, uh, somewhere in there, the federal government decided that uh, it'd be great for the people of this country to have another three-day weekend. And then, of course, it's also a bank holiday. So you have to know, ladies and gentlemen, when I'm looking at my calendars and I'm getting notifications, bank holiday on Monday, my mind does not go to President's Day, okay? My mind goes to, this is it. It's time for hyperinflation. They are closing down the banks. Well, that was my initial thought. And then I realized it was President's Day and I was like, I oh, yeah. <laughs> Stop being such an alarmist, Mr. C. It is just another federal holiday. 
So uh, stop, stop, uh, stop putting, stop putting hyperinflation nodes out into the universe and the galaxy. Stop expecting the worst, Mister C. Just go with it, right? Think positive, stay positive, be positive, and the world itself will start to lighten up just a little bit. I think. I think. Uh, I think hope thrives on positivity. And I think positivity thrives on faith, ladies and gentlemen. But I am not here to speak to you from the pulpit. I'm here to share some news with you guys, ladies and gentlemen. And like I said, we are going to have a a, uh, very concentrated episode tonight, guys. Now, I believe it was on Wednesday or Thursday of last. I went on some rant about uh, the Donetsk and the Luhansk regions of Ukraine, otherwise known as the Donbass region. And I was like, well, we're going to talk about it when we talk about it, ladies. Just so we're going to talk about it tonight. So I hope you guys are prepared. There are some developments going on over there in that region of the world. And of course, we will get to that as soon as we are able to, which is going to be in just a few minutes, ladies and gentlemen. There's a lot of other stuff going on that we could be talking about, a lot of stuff that we will eventually get to. Uh, Of course, we do have uh, the government of Canada going full frontal fascist at the moment. So, uh, you know, the very, and we're not going to get too deep into this, you know, I have not really done a Trucker Convoy Canada, you know, episode here. You know, we mentioned it. We've talked about it. We footnoted it. We've kind of backburnered it, you know, uh, not not intentionally and not with any type of uh, uh, agenda per se. But, uh, you know, I, I mean, what I have said and will continue to say is God bless the truckers of Canada for putting their country on the map. Like, who would have thunk in the year 2022 that a country like Canada would be the one to be the poster child for anti-fascism, anti-tyranny, and how to really do it, ladies and gentlemen. I never would have thought, you know, that would be the case. And, you know, that's another thing that I didn't even think about before. Um, You know, I have an aunt who lives in Canada. My aunt used to be a trucker. Like, she literally drove 18-wheelers across the country. I, I, we got to get a hold of her and see, (laughs) we got to get a hold of her and see if she's been participating. I mean, I haven't heard from her in months. Uh, the last time I heard from her, uh, you know, they were still in the midst of their, they were going into their second wave of lockdowns where they could not even go into a store and buy something that was non-essential. You'd have someone like babysitting you up and down the aisles. And if you even dared to look at those pots and pans, they would slap you on the hand and say, no, that's not essential, right? You could only get toilet paper, food, water, etc. cetera. Uh, so that, uh, now that, you know, now that I think about it, yeah, putting the two and two together, you know, my, my aunt, my aunt was a trucker, you know, for a, a, a period of time. So I need to get a hold of her. Who would have thought I had fa- I would have family in Canada either? Like I know I didn't, but uh, she happy up there until the uh, she is happy up there until the uh, until the pre-planned pandemic struck out against the world, ladies and gentlemen. But uh, we'll talk about uh, we'll we'll do some we'll do an episode on you know Canada and what's going on over there. I mean, but there's so much coverage of it right now, ladies and gentlemen. Like, uh, I think for the sake of archiving and for the sake of uh, historical purposes, we'll do an episode on it here at the Sea Report. Again, uh, not diminishing the work that the brave truckers and uh, patriots of Canada have been doing at all, but we've just had our mind 
and our business in so many other directions, ladies and gentlemen, like election integrity and election fraud. It's always going to be top of the mind and most important here. And in fact, we even have some news on that too, but we're not going to get into that tonight either. I swear you guys know that this broadcast could go for four or five hours if I let myself do it but we're not going to do it. Okay, we're talking about Russia, NATO, and Ukraine tonight uh, because there's also the entire matter of Jean-Luc Brunel, ladies and gentlemen, dead, not on arrival, but definitely without a camera in sight. Ladies and gentlemen, what the heck? Okay, I saw a meme. You know, as much as I do not like Leonardo Decapitated, I mean DiCaprio, like there was this meme and he, he, they just make so many good memes out of him and his movies. You know, he was like, I've seen that somewhere before. Well, we all know, of course, that's in reference to uh, Epstein did not kill himself. We think, has anyone seen a Jean-Luc Brunel did not kill himself meme yet? Do they have the shirts out yet? You know, or or what? Because I'm thinking like, Ghislaine, Ghislaine, Ghislaine. Uh, it looks like they're Xing them out one by one by one. I was like, keep an eye on Peter Nygaard because uh, the, before we know it, that dude's going to end up dead as well. And, uh, and uh, how are they going to explain that one away? I think that is actually... Uh, very telltale, ladies and gentlemen, about uh, the way things are done. Yeah, indeed. Very much so indeed. So, all right, guys. Well, I hope you guys are having a wonderful Monday. If you're joining us live over at Rumble, Clout Hub Twitch, The Foxhole, or at Pilled.net. I wish you all a happy President's Day once again. Thanks for tuning in with us live as we get uh, going on this Monday evening. Uh, let me just pop into uh, the chat real quick, and then I'm also going to do a real quick, really, really quick housekeeping, and we will get going. We got Shonjo in the house. Thank you so much for gifting the cookie, Shonjo Aurelius Lock. Good to see you, sir. As always, we have John Henry, number 37. In the house tonight. Good evening, John Henry. I don't think I've seen you around these parts before, so I do hope you enjoy the show. And uh, I'm sure the fr friends in the chat will help you feel nice and comfy. Good evening, Texas gal. Good to see you tonight, ma'am. I hope you're doing well on this fine Texas evening. And uh, all right, looks like we're good there. Let's see here. Jean Joe says Truth Social is number one app in apple ice store i don't doubt it i'm still like you know ticket number 135,000 just to get my account created but hey it's actually moving along a lot better than frank speech did for me i mean let me tell you it was a battle to get frank speech going ladies and gentlemen and i finally got an account and uh, it's a little disappointing but that's not to say i'm totally disappointed I think I just need to explore it a little bit more. But I finally got a count, like, within the last month. Like, the buttons finally worked for me. Like, they finally responded to me with an email to set up my... Like, I'm telling you guys, with Frank's speech, it took forever. And then I gave up for a couple of months. And then I tried again, and then I gave up again. But finally, I got a Frank's speech account. Uh, but uh, so far, so good with Truth Social. I expected there would be so much foot traffic going in and out of that app that one might end up on a waiting list, right? One might end up on a waiting list. But hey, at least we know they have it covered. Texas Gal says, I listened to Putin today. Very interesting. Oh, I wonder uh, what about Putin you were listening to. We, uh, there was, there's a lot of movement going on out there. We're about to dip into that as well as we take a look 
as we take a gander and we put the C spin on it, ladies and gentlemen, because you know, I spin them C's somehow, somewhere, some way. Real quick, guys, before we jump into tonight's episode, I would also encourage you, if you uh, don't have the time to uh, listen, uh, to watch our live broadcasts, or say you accidentally miss a show, or say something came up, say you're hanging out with your family, uh, you know, say uh, you have an important dinner, a makeup dinner to take your uh, a significant other on, and you have to miss the C Report any night of the week. You can always get us on podcast over at anchor.fm slash the C Report where you can listen and subscribe for free. You can also find other podcasting platforms that you might want to listen to or check out, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, you can subscribe and follow us for free on any of those. We were probably on about 15 plus different podcasting platforms. I'm getting all of those worked out or at least the ones that stay up to date because, you know, some of them, I think like Stitcher, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Stitcher, but they, they only go up to like episode 220 something, you know, and then I think maybe Breaker only got up to like, I don't know, episode one something. And it was like, they I just don't think they liked the content <laughs> that I had to offer because, uh, you know, when you start talking about human trafficking, you start talking about COVID-19, you start talking about an illegitimate administration and uh, they just don't want to carry your work. But there's a whole bunch of other ones out there, uh, some I've never even heard of before, that uh, stay up to date with the podcast. Uh, I think, which one was it? It's either uh, Reason FM or uh, I can't remember which one. They even they even uh, included us in one of the podcasts not to miss. So I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. I don't know if it's because they like my content specifically or just because I'm so consistent at releasing episodes, you know. Uh, but we are up to date uh, on there. Sans the Mr. C's in the dark. Those are going up next, guys. I, I just got all the Lone Star news up there. We have every single C report up there. Now I'm working on the Mr. C in the Dark episodes, particularly the last five or six episodes have been uh, so, so full of information uh, that I think a lot of people would enjoy listening to. Uh, We will get those as soon as possible up there. And then, of course, if you guys were hanging out with us on Saturday night, we did another episode of Mr. C in the Dark. Now, that episode, there was some technical difficulties that happened with that. So it's actually not live at the moment, but we will get that episode live again very soon, ladies and gentlemen. For those of you who know, you know. Uh, But otherwise, we will get that again live ASAP, ladies and gentlemen. Gentlemen, finally, today, honestly, guys, I didn't know uh, how soon I was going to be able to get on with you all because I spent about the whole day working on the website for the C-Report. Now, we're still on the holder page, right? This is just a filler page. This is not the official website just yet, but everything behind the scenes is happening. So what I would like to encourage you all, if you are a listener of the show, if you're a supporter, if you're here in the audience regularly, uh, if you uh, if you uh, support us at, uh, on any level, whether that is by spreading the links or, you know, sending in those donations, uh, we now have an email list, okay? Now, this email list is going to be absolutely essential 
okay, to make sure that we can get around big tech and censorship in case anything should ever happen to this website or to my live podcasts or my live streams. Now, you know, with things like Truth Social going up and with things like, you know, uh, the, the Quicks uh, Quantum Experience user box coming around, like we may not even have to uh, promote email lists as a means to stay connected in case we get censored or in case we get algorithmed into non-existence. But, you know, it is, uh, it is a safe, sufficient bet for now. So I would uh, totally recommend that you head over to thecreport.com and uh, you sign up for our email list, ladies and gentlemen. And, you know, I just, I can't believe I didn't do this. But also, uh, we just got in a brand new shipment of stickers, ladies and gentlemen. Now, you know, stickers ain't, uh, stickers ain't nothing to get stuck on. It's kind of our first actual C-Report, not merchandise, but I don't know, memorabilia. Uh, I don't know, uh, pr- promotional material. Let's call it that. So tell you what, uh, you know, first 20, 25 people who get on the email list... Um, I will send you a sticker or two if you would like. Just uh, get on that email list today or sometime this week, first 2025, and then I will send you out a personalized email. And, uh, you know, if you want to confer your address to me so I can mail out those stickers, I will definitely do so. Uh, But this will come in handy, guys, because anytime we have any scheduling updates, any schedule changes, promotions or updates for the website or for the show, we will send that information out via our email list. That is also going to include any upcoming live interviews that we will be performing. Okay, so uh, just in case, you know, it just, uh, you know, information is so um, essential these days, ladies and gentlemen. It's a shame that information can also be weaponized. So rather than promote you know, when we're going to have a live guest in studio or on the air with us via our typical usual streams, whether that's social media or even here on the air, we will let you guys know via the email list. So, and that's just something that we have to do in this information age of warfare. And I don't like to use terms like warfare, but in these skirmishes for information and, uh, you know, people trying to knock people out as far as, you know, because it's very real within the realms of like a live streaming podcasting and this type of industry. You got people who are trying to knock you out. You got people who don't want you to do well or succeed, and they will do everything that they can to just make sure you don't get your message out and your show looks like Indian Quacha. So anyways, go to thecreport.com and join our email list today. First 2025 uh, people to do so. I'll send out stickers if you want to share your address so I can mail those out. Otherwise, it's your preference, ladies and gentlemen. We had our stickers uh, printed up by Printus Maximus. And uh, the good the good designer over there, BrainPod, he was so kind enough to help us with designing the sticker uh, because I am technically inept. Uh, you know, you know, we were just like, well, hey, just throw out just throw out Prentice Maximus and uh, we'll call it even. So most definitely. And they're quite nice. I just I can't believe I don't have one on me right now. <laughs> they're like over there in the room and I'm not going to get up and uh, maybe maybe while we're watching some videos, I'll go get the stickers so I can show up to you. But yeah, they did a pretty good job. They're very handsome. They're matte. They're, they, they seem very durable. You know, I'm, I'm going to put one right on my laptop and, uh, 
you know, see where we go from there. But Printus Maximus did the job for us. Uh, big thanks to 123SKG over there at the Foxhole for uh, assist with that. And uh, yeah, so anyways, that's really all I had to show you guys about our, uh, about our website for today. I will say if you have contacted us via our contact form here, on the website, I will automatically add you into our email list and I will also contact you about receiving a sticker or two if you would like. Uh, let me just show you this, just so you can see. See, this is our about page now. Oh, look at, this is the sticker. Check it out, guys. <laughs> Yay. Here's the sticker. That's what the sticker looks like. So that's our first official promotional sticker right there, guys. Handing those out for free. In the future, if we ever do merchandise, I don't know if we will do merchandise, really, guys, but if we ever do, I'll probably hand those out for free with whatever's uh, purchased over at creport.com. But again, ladies and gentlemen, I'm just not a big merch person. I know a lot of uh, you guys in the audience have asked for merchandise over the year and months. And we'll work on it, guys. We'll work on it. If you guys really, really want it, uh, we'll see what we can do. Um, oh, and then here's a list of some of these podcasting platforms I was talking about. Uh, let's see here. So we got like the likes of like uh, Backtracks.fm, Reason.fm, uh, Go Ogle. I mean, we're on there. There's Anchor. That's our that's our parent podcasting platform. We got Listen Notes on there. We got uh, I think this is Apple, and then and Blueberries blueberries so you know that's just uh that's like about that's less than half the list of all the pod podcast platforms that we're on but i'm getting all that arranged so yeah so this is some of the work i was doing earlier today just trying to get all of this set up and then you know we have a, actually a good list of little socials right here we got twitter which i rarely use but if you still want to follow i'll post stuff on there instagram uh we got the twitch connection the spotify connection uh the go ogle connection and amazon yeah we are we are on amazon but that is uh that is not specifically about information for the C report, just about yours truly, Mr. C. Otherwise known as Michael Aaron Cossers. Call me what you will. Call me what you will, ladies and gentlemen. But uh, there you have it. You know, my, my birth name is Michael and my friends call me Mr. C. Let's put it that way. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's get off of this, ladies and gentlemen. We're done. We're done with the... Oh, I am so bad. Okay. <laughs> We are done, ladies and gentlemen, for the night. No, just kidding. We're not done for the night. Not just yet. What we are done with, though, is with the housekeeping. So uh, there we go in that regard. Now let me go ahead, and we're going to start off, of course, as per the usual, with a Trump statement or two, ladies and gentlemen. Let's see what President Trump might have had to say on this President's Day 2022. Do we got a statement? Do we got a statement? Of course we have a statement. Let's see what the president has to say. I'll pull that up for you guys right now. All right, here we go, ladies and gentlemen. Statement from President Trump for today. President Trump leads at the Sea Report as always. If In case you didn't know or in case this is the first time you're watching this show, uh, you know, we are, a, we are an America first program and broadcast for sure. Now, you know, we don't like to use the word program around here because we like people to have their own, uh, their own uh, sense of thinking. But, uh, well, you know, it just, it slips after, you know, being alive in this world that uses that type of language for so, so long. Okay, we'll go ahead and do, I think we'll just do one for today, because we already got a full show ahead of you guys. We have a full show today, so let's check out what this has to say. 
Okay, and it says here, statement from President Trump. My long-term accounting firm did not leave me for any other reason than they were harassed, abused, and frightened by DAs and AGs that for years have been threatening them with indictment and ruination. They were broken by these radical left racist prosecutors and could not take any more. Even the letter they sent stated, Mazars performed its work in accordance with professional standards. Uh, and a subsequent review of those work papers confirms this. Further, their disclaimer cause in the financial statements has for years stated much the same. So uh, that's a little bit of a wrap, ladies and gentlemen. Not an R-A-P, you know, but a wrap, <laughs> W-R-A-P, on uh, what was going on with Mazars. We reported this last week on, I think, I think it was on our Friday show, in regard to uh, Mazars uh, discontinuing their services for uh, the Trump Organization. And of course, you know, we have uh, we have everyone and their mama from CNN to Politico to all of the all the usual suspects just uh, just uh, airing out this disinformation about uh, them being in trouble and Trump being in trouble and them just being ultimately disgusted. Again, trying to formulate some type of storyline or narrative that they can capitalize on so that when they decide to bring down the hammer, they can say, well, look, according to the Washington Compost, Mazar said that they were done working with President Trump because his business is dishonest, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, we know that that's not the case. It's the continuation of a witch hunt, you know? It's a continuation of a witch hunt. And uh, to be quite honest, uh, it almost feels like these people are professional witch hunters, you know? I, I'm, I'm starting to think even Putin probably feels the same way. How do you say witch hunt in Russian? I don't know. Where's Anka Banka? <laughs> so she can tell us, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, but yes, indeed. So uh, why do I say that? We're, we're already going to draw into what's going on with Russia Ladies and gentlemen, and also uh, Ukraine. Uh, before we get into that real quick, John Henry 37 thank you for the cookie. Much appreciated that, sir. And uh, yeah, all right, okay. So uh, let's see here, Russia, Russia, Russia. Uh, tonight's show, ladies and gentlemen, is brought to you by the Epoch Times, the Gateway Pundit, the Conservative Treehouse, Consortium News, Breitbart, and... And we have a dishonorable mention that I just did not think I'd, you know, I really, really, really hesitated to use this reference. Ladies and gentlemen, you guys got to be thinking, is it CNN? Is it the New York Times? Is it the Washington Compost? Is it Vox? Is it Vice? Who, who could be so dishonorable that you really wouldn't want to want to uh share this but uh well it's from uh, it's from a news rag called world socialist website oh okay <laughs> yeah it's cringe guys but again even these uh even these uh, socialist rags point out information that you know it's 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 interesting okay and and not to mention not to mention that uh, the Gateway Pundit also referenced this website. So it gives us perspective 
you know, it, it gives us a little bit of a balance as well, I could honestly say, uh, where we all do not agree with socialism by any means. If you consider the people who follow that, uh, some of the stuff they have to write is interesting, like uh, going I mean, because this is not the first time I've come across um, an article from this website. And, you know, being the curious little like digger that I tend to be, you know, they're they're like uh, they have um, they have articles where they're talking about the Obama regime and stuff. So I think it's like the pure form of socialism that is totally anti anything American, which I think is rather interesting. And I don't agree with socialism at all. A thousand percent. I understand that we do have socialist programs here in this country. Uh, but uh, anyhow, you guys will see once we get to the article what I'm talking about, okay? And again, we're dipping into Ukraine. We're dipping into Russia tonight. So this is going to give us some perspective and just wait until you see. Because with everything that's going on right now in Ukraine and in Russia, huh? and NATO, right? Um <sighs> The deep state is sending out the rats, ladies and gentlemen. Send out the clowns, ladies and gentlemen. That is exactly what they're doing right now. We have got some clown rats to show you guys tonight. And you guys are going to recognize these clown rats. You guys are going to be like, oh, wait, I remember that one. And uh, oh, wait, th th didn't that one lie during the impeachment hearing? Yeah, and they are sending them to the front lines to push this narrative of war with Russia and Ukraine. They're busting them out right now on the world, uh, the world propaganda media scene to kind of fluff up the Biden administration and the deep state department. Oh, I almost forgot to pull this thing. I'll do this during break, but okay, let's jump into it. Hey, Sazzy Q, how's it going tonight? Hey, Bubbles, what's up tonight? How you doing tonight? Good to see you in the uh, chat room there. Glad to have you all with us as we uh, dip into some uh, Eastern conflict, ladies and gentlemen. Look, what do we got going on here? Let's keep on going. There's President Trump. Okay, so I think here's where we're going to start, ladies and gentlemen. I think we're going to start right here. What's up, Bill Tech? How you doing, sir? We got, uh, we got this situation going on right now where, of course, if you guys remember, uh, this was, re this was uh, really hitting ahead uh, at, at the weekend and into the weekend uh, last week, uh, where we had, we had a situation where there were starting to be shelling, or we say starting to be, they were starting to shell or bomb, you know, um, uh, the Donetsk region the Don in the Donbass, okay? Now, if you guys have been following what's going on, and don't worry, y'all, we are going to get into the history of it tonight, I promise. By the end of tonight, I think it'll be a little bit clearer. It won't be crystal clear, because even going through a lot of this information, I was still like, dang, like, okay, like, there's a lot of stuff going on over here. But to kind of catch us up in brief. What we have going on here, of course, is in 2014, we had the referendum in Crimea, all right? The same referendum that all of the propaganda naysayers say it was an annexation and it was an all-out bloody conflict and uh, Russia went in and threatened everyone with their lives and that's how Crimea ended up voting 90 plus percent to become part of Russia again, okay? Right when that happens, we have, um, we have a, a separatist movement in both Donetsk and Luhansk, which is now referred to as the Donbass region. So we have two separate states in 
eastern Ukraine that decide that they no longer want to be part of Ukraine. Do they want to be part of Russia? Do they want to be, do they want to be separate from Russia? Now, therein lies the key. You have the Donetsk region and the Luhansk region where they want to be independent. Okay, they, they refer to themselves as the Donetsk People's Republic and the Luhansk People's Republic does not necessarily mean that they want to be part of Russia, but they do not want to be part of Ukraine. That's what the history is that we're understanding of this over there. So since that time, and this happened right after the Crimea referendum, you had Russia sending in, uh, sending in troops to back up these separatists. Okay, now that much we know for a fact. So then we have uh, basically like war. They call it civil war. Uh, they say that this is Putin's proxy army in order to invade Ukraine. And to be frank, I'm quite surprised that they didn't just use this angle to start their war to begin with, right? Like, if it, I think these people are a lot dumber than we give them credit for. And I'm talking about the deep state people. And I'm talking about the NATO people and all that stuff. Like, they really could have exploited that region to start the conflict. Instead, what they had was Antony Blinken and Ned Price and, uh, and Illegitimate Joe all up there with their trousers down and their butts unwiped, going on about how there's going to be war and blah, 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 blah. And then a big stinker was dropped whenever you had them saying that uh, Russia was going to bomb and attack and invade Ukraine on Wednesday the 16th. Now, the only thing that I could think that, that caused this to happen, that caused that rhetoric to really hit a fever pitch where they're like, we have a fact uh, that there will be an invasion on Wednesday the 16th. The only thing that I could think would cause that rhetoric to get so volatile and for them to give a specific date is that that may have been a warning or a threat against the White Hats, maybe, against the Patriots, maybe, against those who are battling this unseen enemy. And they were saying, oh, oh, you're going to go arrest Hillary Clinton because she's been spying on a president? Oh, oh, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to, you know, you're going to decertify the state of Arizona or the state of Wisconsin? Oh, 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 wait, wait, we forgot COVID-19 doesn't work anymore. And so I think they set a date to kind of cause the good guys to pull back. Right. And be like, okay, they're basically threatening an all out war, regardless of who started it. They still have this propaganda machine, the lamestream, shamestream, fake news, legacy, propaganda, mockingbird media that will spin all these stories and saturate the world with one point of view so that everyone thinks whatever it is that they want them to think. Which is why I say before we move into the golden age, we have to get rid of and or severely overhaul the lamestream, shamestream, fake news, legacy, propaganda, mockingbird media. They got to go or they got to get totally repaired. Otherwise, there is no golden age. There is no world peace. There is no, there's none of that can exist as long as those, those factions and that you know, that uh, apparatus still is stands as is, okay? And they, they have not fixed it yet. What they have had happen to them is they've been pantsed a lot. They've overplayed their hand so much. They have uh, gone out on a limb and become so obnoxiously cartoony about what they're saying, okay? Which is why I could only think that the illegitimate administration of Joe Wipe Your Butt 
you know, Biden would say they're going to have a war or Russia is going to invade on this day at this hour, 100 percent, as I think that they were. I think that was some kind of like uh, like um, almost like a game of chicken, you know, like or, or they're trying to stop something from happening now because of this, guys. <laughs> Putin has again pantsed Joe Biden. And what does Putin do? (laughs) He doesn't invade Ukraine. He doesn't start a war with Ukraine. Instead, he recognizes the separatist regions as being uh, independent or sovereign, okay? Which ultimately is against these Minsk II agreements that were set up between he and uh, President Voldemar um, Zelensky in Ukraine when they were in France, when they were in Germany. Peace talks going hand in hand, but now that's setting the world on fire for something totally new. So then we have the bombing or the shelling of a kindergarten class in uh, in in a Donetsk, if I'm not mistaken, okay? And right away, we've got the Western-backed media saying that this was an attack from Russia. We have the uh, Russian-backed media saying that this was an attack from Ukraine. And you have Mr. C saying it was probably NATO and it was probably the deep state, you know? <laughs> like, they're the ones who did it, okay? Because another dynamic that we have going on there is when you talk about Donetsk and Luhansk, I don't think it's fair to say that these are deep state controlled areas. I think it is fair to say that you have Russian backed troops in there and you have deep state troops in there also being provocateurs and being, uh, you know, all around. Let's start a war. Now, we have some theories and we have well, we have those theories, but we also have some sub, some uh, some substance to back that up. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But I, you know, I really believe that this area, just based on, you know, some of the digging that I've been doing, these people really do want to be separated from Ukraine. Do they want to be part of Russia? I kind of don't think they want to be part of Russia either. I think they want to be independent, okay? But you do have elements from Russia and from NATO deep state in this region. Is it controlled by the deep state? I think Ukraine is more controlled by the deep state than the Donetsk and the Luhansk region is. And that's why they're using it as another pivot point moving forward into what they want, which is a war. Okay. But Putin has pantsed them so many times. Okay. He's found a way around this so many times. We'll have to see where it goes. Okay. The media has also been pantsed, of course, because they're the ones who are backing up these calls for war. They're the ones who are actually setting up this fever pitch for war, okay? But they're not getting it. They're like, oh, our intel, CNN's intelligence office says that we're going to have a war when the ground is frozen in Ukraine. And it doesn't happen. And they look ridiculous. And then we even have Zelensky, who is still saying there is no evidence that Russia's invasion is imminent. Zelensky even said there are 150,000 Russian troops near the border of Ukraine. And I'm pretty sure that would probably include around Belarus. But he has even said 150,000 troops is not enough and brings us no evidence that that could be a full-on invasion. 150,000 troops ain't nothing and could never do such a thing, okay, is what both Zelensky and Putin has said. 
that brings us to today, ladies and gentlemen. And I apologize I didn't have a graphic there for you guys. I meant to get one, but, you know, I like my graphics. So uh, let's check out this article here. This is from the Epoch Times. Uh, the article says Putin recognizes independence of Ukraine separatist regions. And uh, we're going to start getting in a little bit about today. All right. And then we're going to jump over to the deep state rats. OK. And then we're going to get into the history of the Donetsk and the Luhansk regions, otherwise known as the Donbass, and uh, where all of that began and what it looks like on the ground. OK. OK. That's what's in today's lesson plan, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, the article says here, let me go ahead and get this uh, set up straight. Okay, it says, um, Russian President Vladimir Putin on February 21 said that Russia recognizes the independence of the separatist Donetsk and Luhansk regions in eastern Ukraine, which some Western officials assert would give Moscow the pretext to send in troops. Putin, in a lengthy speech, said that he will immediately recognize the sovereignty of Donetsk and Luhansk republics. On Monday morning, the leaders of the two areas, which make up much of the Donbass, requested Putin to recognize their independence from Ukraine. Before, in his speech, Putin suggested that Ukraine is not a real country and believes its ancient Russian lands. The modern Ukraine state, he alleged, was created by Soviet founder Vladimir Lenin, who ultimately separated Ukraine from the Imperial Russian Empire. Ukraine is not just a neighboring country of us. Ukraine is a part of our cultural space, Putin asserted, suggesting that the 1991 collapse of the Soviet Union saw Russia get robbed of Ukraine. Now, Ukraine is a U.S. colony with a puppet regime in charge, the Russian leader further said. UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson, in response, said Putin's declaration that he recognizes the two regions as independent is a breach of international law. Plainly, what has happened is extremely bad news. We will be talking to our allies urgently, Boris Johnson told reporters on Monday at a news conference. The European Union's top diplomat, Joseph Borrell, called on Moscow not to make the decisions and argued that it could be a precursor for Russia to annex the Donetsk and the Luhansk region. If there is annexation, there will be sanctions. And if there is recognition, I will put the sanctions on the table and the ministers will decide, Borrell said. Hours before his announcement, Putin conveyed his, sir, convey, convened his Security Council to consider whether to approve requests by Russian-backed forces in Donetsk and Luhansk to recognize their sovereignty. Okay, now I just got to say, Epoch Times, you got to make up your mind. Are you going to spell that with a G or an H, my friends? All right, okay. It says, Dmitry Medvedev, the council's uh, deputy chairman, told the meeting it was obvious that Ukraine did not need the two regions and that a majority of Russians would support their independence. Russia already offers passports to residents of two regions and Medvedev, um, I want to say Medved, Medvedev <laughs> said there were now 800,000 Russian citizens there. Both separatists' controlled areas are on the border with Russia and eastern Ukraine. They're described by separatist leaders as the Donetsk People's Republic and the Luhansk People's Republic. Russia's Duma uh, passed the appeals from the leaders to Putin earlier this month. 
At the time, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken said Kremlin approval of the requests would amount to Russian government's wholesale rejection of its commitment under the Minsk to uh, Minsk agreements, which outline the process for the full political, social, and economic reintegration of those parts of Ukraine's Donbass region controlled by Russia-led forces and political proxies since 2014. Blinken said approval would undermine Ukraine's sovereignty, violate international law, and call into question Russia's motives. U.S. officials have said for weeks that Russia was on the brink of and or already had decided to invade Ukraine, but no invasion has thus far taken place. Russian officials have said they don't plan on invading Ukraine as Western officials accuse them of massing more than 100,000 troops near the border with their region. Purported video footage shot near the Ukraine-Russia border areas have shown large columns of tanks, artillery, artillery, and troops in recent weeks. Of course, uh, let's see, it says here, Anatoly Antonov, the Russian ambassador to the United States, told uh, a CBS news broadcaster that they have legitimate rights to have troops where they want to on Russian territory. And he also went on to say, I would like to say you, I would like to say to you that we have, we are not a threat to anybody. Ukrainian Foreign Minister Dmitry Kuleba on Monday again said on Twitter that everyone should calmly focus on de-escalation efforts despite emotionally charged rhetoric. Putin may meet with U.S. President Joe Biden after Blinken convenes with his counterparts on February 24th, according to the White House, but Russia has described it as premature to discuss the potential meeting. U.S. officials say the meetings will not be held if Russia invades Ukraine. Ukrainian officials, meanwhile, said they, may, they must be involved in negotiations. No one can resolve our issues with us, top security official Oleski Danilov told a briefing on Monday. In Washington, Biden summoned his top security advisors, Defense Secretary Darth Lloyd Austin and General Mark Victoria Milley, chairman of the U.S. Joint Chiefs of Staff, to uh, be seen entering the White House on President's Day holiday, according to Reuters. Very interesting. So, <coughs> pardon me. So we see this happening. Basically, we have Putin totally undercutting uh, um, Biden here by uh, not, not firing a single shot. Now, you can say what you want to say about the firefights going on in the Donbass region, guys, but technically speaking... Putin hasn't fired a final shot, I mean, a single shot yet, and yet somehow has managed to uh, cause a little bit more of a firestorm over here in that area. Now, what is my, what is my sixth sense, my C-sense say here? <laughs> my C-sense says, uh, well, uh, they've been calling for these false flags, guys. So we have the supposed bombing of a uh, kindergarten area, shelling of it, right? And we have both sides declaring one, uh, one another did it, right? We we do have members of NATO, including Antony Blinken, saying that this is their false flag. Uh, but as you'll see in a video that I'm going to play here in a minute, they have declared, at least uh, Blinken has declared, that um, uh, Putin will use language of genocide happening in the Donbass region as a precursor to move in. And I don't know if you guys have been listening to what Putin has been saying recently, but he has used that language almost exactly.
So the plot is definitely thickening. So, you know, it's interesting to note that they have this, uh, this meeting that's supposed to happen, I guess, on the 24th, after the 24th, with, between illegitimate Joe and, uh, and uh, President Putin. Uh, why? <laughs> I say why because who did they send over there? They sent Kamala Harris. Okay, <laughs> we'll get to her in a minute. Let's uh, let's see let's see what this article has to say here. I think this is from the Gateway Pundit. Uh, yeah, it says uh, Putin tells Biden and the West to pound sand. Okay. <laughs> So Putin tells Biden and the West to pound sand. Okay, now this this is this actually kind of simplifies everything that we just went through, but let's check it out real quick. It says Putin is not going to invade Ukraine. Nope, but Russia now is prepared to fight on behalf of two independent republics who ask for Putin's help. You see, it's not even like they're asking to become part of Russia, but already the West is spinning this yarn that uh, Putin's going to annex this country. Okay, or these two countries, I should say. Putin signed an agreement with the leaders of Donetsk and Luhansk Everyone spells these countries differently, guys. Like, what the heck is up with that? Anyways, uh, Donetsk and Luhansk, respectively, at about 11 p.m. Moscow time. The Minsk agreement is dead by formally recognizing the independent uh, republics of Donetsk and Luhansk. Look at, they spelt it differently in... (laughs) within the paragraph of each other anyways uh if they're hiring a copyright editor hey you have my number no just kidding they don't but anyways by formally recognizing the independent republics of donetsk and luhansk putin and his national security team are following the lead of how western nations handled the breakup of yugoslavia into three separate republics Any hope that Biden and his advisors had about using their hysterical verbal posturing to bolster Biden's stature as an international statesman feared by the Russians was flushed down the toilet with today's signing. Here are the key points of the speech that uh, Putin gave globally, and it was televised globally. So this is why I wanted to bring up this article, guys, because these points are quite interesting. If you take into perspective uh, geopolitical happenings, when you know our common enemy is the deep state and the globalist uh, um, warmongers out there, you know, okay? So it says here, Putin says Ukraine was not able to achieve a stable statehood and therefore has had to rely on foreign countries like the United States. That kind of checks out, right? Uh, Putin also says Ukraine has become a colony with a puppet government. Now, you know, uh, as someone who's just tuning into this channel for the first time or has never uh, been present about, uh, you know, what we talk about here, would think that we are Russian. We are Russian bots here at the C uh, C report. The C in C report stands for Communist Russia, and uh, you know, like we're Putin sympathizers here, and we are part of the Putin propaganda machine here at the C report. Uh, Dostvidanya and uh, and donkey and all that other good stuff. Anyways, okay, so. Is it not is it not so though ladies and gentlemen I mean we will watch a video on this right away that talks about Ukraine's relationship between the west and between Russia and that in fact when we're looking at the Donbass region or oh, actually no it's actually the word Ukraine like the word Ukraine translated means borderland 
which is interesting, which is why when we talk about how, you know, we have uh, NATO, the, the, the NATO states, right? And then we have Russia and we have people meeting up for discussions and talks and, and agreements, but they somehow fail to include Ukraine. Like, you know, it's like, oh, well, we're going to have, we're going to have the head of U the United States and, and United Kingdom meet with, uh, you know, uh, uh, President Putin, and yet we're not even going to involve President Zelensky, you know, and this has happened a few times before Zelensky was like, hey, not without Ukraine, okay? Like, you know, we're here too. But what that illustrates is that as a borderland, Ukraine has proven to be at least since, at least since the fall of the Soviet Union, had proven to be a buffer zone between the Western powers and Eastern or Russian uh, powers or influence. And so they've always just been exploited. They've always kind of been a doormat, you know, now I'm not saying that that's the history of the country. We'll get to that. But what I am saying is at least since the fall of Soviet Union, it has just been used and as a pivot point uh, for, you know, uh, geopolitical, poli uh, you know, game playing and strategy between the West and Putin. You know, so for Putin to say that Ukraine has become a colony with a puppet government, I would say is absolutely, I would say is borderline true, no pun intended. But, you know, we would also have to recognize the role of President Zelensky right here. Again, not without Ukraine, right? Because he has, he has run on being uh, anti-corruption, right? Uh, and he, from what I've been able to assess, he has done that kind of a job. He's also tried to promote peace and diplomacy, but that has become exceedingly hard for him because he has his buddies, the Western, uh, the Western backed influence that's sitting on his shoulder that keep on trying to provoke war. So Zelensky actually has to walk a much harder narrower and harsher path than anyone else in this region because he's playing between Putin and the West. He's trying to keep his country together. And there's just so much going on here, guys, when you consider the history about this whole region. There's a lot going on here, y'all. And uh, I don't know. I mean, it would take a, a really bigger scalpel to dissect this at, at least a little bit deeper than we're going tonight but we'll get there y'all we will get there let's see what else uh putin had to say about this entire situation it says putin says ukraine plans to create its own nuclear weapons now i can't speak to that period because i don't know anything about that it says putin says we were promised nato would not expand okay so that's something else that we have seen now uh to be to be quite correct on that this promise of nato not expanding was actually more of a verbal agreement between was it uh gore, gore not not khrushchev it was who's after him who's before putin gore gore goryevich or i cannot think of the guy's name but you guys knew i'm talking about like uh but when whenever um whenever uh the the the, the Whenever the Soviet Union fell and you had NATO uh, back in the early 90s, it, it was a verbal agreement. It wasn't written down per se. Uh, and uh, Putin has lamented that fact as well because historians can go back and say, well, there never was anything in writing. You know, it was just this meeting that they had and, you know, they're like uh, not another inch eastward towards Russia. If you're going to have NATO and all of these, you know, um, allied military powers. 
Anyhow, so, but, but that is something that we do recognize, at least here, is that NATO has continued its eastward expansion, but not just by having new member states, but by actually pushing their military artillery, their military power, weapons of mass destruction, missiles, etc., towards Russia. And so their buffer zone between Western powers who want Russia dead at this point in history you know, has continued to threaten that security. And that is the narrative. That's like the main part of that narrative that is often overlooked and often uh, just passed over when we're talking about what the Western back media is trying to spin. And, you know, if the Western back media really wanted to be fair, they would include that in their reporting, but they don't. Okay. And I think it would be easier for us to digest and not view them as well. I mean, they, they are the enemy of the people. I don't know if they could, I don't know if just that one caveat would save them their face in that way. But when you're looking at, when you're looking at, um, when you're looking at a a discussion like this and you're looking at this big of a a, a type of a, a fight and ordeal you need to have that type of balance say cuz people remember history okay people are aware of history and they just want to assume that we have forgotten or we don't know or we're too dumb and that's just predatory type of you know actions on their part in my opinion so anyways back to this article it says uh putin says i will say something i've never said before uh, I've never said for the first time. I asked Clinton, how would you feel about Russia joining NATO? Oh. Putin says, we saw five waves of NATO expansion recently. Ha, uh, that's interesting, right? Yeah, very interesting. Um, Putin, uh, and for those of you on the uh, podcast, I highlighted the Clinton uh, question there. But anyhow, uh, it says here... Um, Uh, Putin says, uh, we saw five waves of NATO expansion recently. The United States does not need such a big country as Russia in NATO. Uh, Why make an enemy of us, Putin says. And then Putin says, Russia has every right to protect its security. And that's what they'll do. Uh, Putin also says, Ukraine does not want a peaceful resolution. See, now something like this, I couldn't speak to. I honestly couldn't. Because where I think President Zelensky has spoken about, and I've heard him say, I've read his statements about peace and also about diplomacy, we see that uh, on the Russian side, a lot of times they talk about how um, Ukrainian soldiers are breaking the ceasefire. But again, how do we know that those are not provocateurs, right? Just like, you know, we can say for a fact in the Donbass region, those probably are Russian-backed, you know, troops, And they're backed by Russia, but you have these provocateurs that the deep state are sending in to further destabilize this region. Okay, so it's happening on all ends. But uh, I think it's interesting that United States Western backed uh, agencies like the deep state department are using phrases like false flag, okay? They're like, the people understand false flag. Maybe if we use that, uh, yeah, maybe if we use that, then they'll believe us because we have to use terms that they are familiar with and accept as part of the vernacular and their understanding of how the world works and geopolitics in order for us to uh, set up this ruse uh, to get war with Russia going. I mean, you know they just need the war because the hammer's coming down, guys. You know, inflation is at a, a certain point, 
you know, uh, um, uh, they were spying on the president. The, the election was a fraud. Uh, COVID was pre-planned pandemic. They need a war. Like they need a war like they've never had one before. They need something, guys, to just throw everyone off the case. All right. Almost done with this statement here. It says, uh, Putin says Russia will take steps to ensure its security. And Putin says Russia will recognize independence of two breakaway regions in eastern Ukraine. Putin emphasized his perplexity on the drumbeat from Washington, D.C., describing Russia as an enemy. He reiterated that Russia wants to be friends with the United States. But if the Americans continue to treat Russia as an enemy, Russia will take all necessary steps to defend the motherland. motherland. And you know... This is actually that actually is consistent with the uh, with the Russian with the uh, Putin interviews that um, that docu series that we watched here at the Sea Report, and that is that so many times throughout the four parts of that interview docu series, Putin is often referred to America as friends, as allies, you know, as as you know people that uh, work together, and I'm just sitting there thinking like. How long is it before Putin gets pissed off because the West has made him look like a schmuck so many times? And yet he's still there on camera saying that we're friends and we're allies, but we go schmucking around with him. Like, it's not going to be, I mean, uh, talking about, talk about poking the bear, right? And we're not talking about A.G. Brnovich here. We'll save him for another day, ladies and gentlemen. But that's big time poking the bear. And, you know, it's just a matter of time before Putin really just gets tired of looking like, you know, like, like a door, like he's taking it, you know, like he's going to get tired of it eventually. It's kind of where I'm going with that. But uh, I'm just having a hard time articulating it. Okay, guys, so let's see what we're going to get into. uh, We're going to get into Kamala Harris's visit over there. So I'm like, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna have Putin and Biden meet after Kamala Harris went over there and spread her social disease. I get or his social disease, whatever. Man, dude looks like, I mean, uh, man looks like, wait, wait, lady looks like a dude, right? Okay, she's got that big old manly jaw. She's got that, uh, she's got, (laughs) she's got that quarterback uh, shoulder line and uh, you could probably fit five heads on those shoulders. Anyways, okay, and I'm not talking about the shoulder pads either. All right, so let's talk about this meeting we had between, um, let's see, I think it was like European leaders. They gathered in, in Munich trying to avert this war, right? Some interesting stuff coming out of this. It's going to catch us up with what's going on over there, at least visually speaking. So let's get this rolling, ladies and gentlemen, because uh, time. All right, here we go. We have reason to believe the Russian forces are planning to uh, and intend to attack Ukraine in the coming week, the coming days. We believe that they will target Ukraine's capital, Kyiv, a city of 2.8 million innocent people. The ominous words overnight of the American president, somehow they still don't ring true in this city of Kyiv, where children play on World War II tanks in front of the Lady in Grey, the great motherland monument once put up by the Soviet Union to celebrate a unity long reduced to distant memory. Will President Putin really order the invasion of Ukraine and the seizure of one of the great capitals of Europe. It sounds implausible, a likely massacre resulting perhaps in his own political suicide. But that is the worst case scenario they're trying to prevent here at the annual Munich Security Conference, 
Mr. Putin, who failed to show up, has certainly achieved one thing, breathe new life into NATO and so much unity into the West that they might as well finish each other's sentences. Let me be clear. I can say with absolute certainty, if Russia further invades Ukraine, Eine militärische Aggression gegen die Ukraine wäre ein schwerer Fehler. Because the events of these days could reshape the entire international order. Take note, Moscow, even China joined in. First of all, let me reiterate that the sovereignty, independence and territorial integrity of any country should be respected and safeguarded. The Prime Minister clearly relished the chance to talk geopolitics, not parties, with the man who perhaps appreciates him most in the world today, the president of Ukraine, who left his besieged homeland to come to Munich. This is a very dangerous moment in our history. We stand on the brink of what could be a war in Europe. I think it would be an absolute disaster, be a disaster for, for Europe, a disaster for Ukraine, and a disaster certainly for, for Russia. Meanwhile, at a much smaller conference, President Putin and his friend President Lukashenko of Belarus watched the spectacular finale of their joint military exercises, Russian ballistic missiles capable of carrying nuclear warheads. So far, only the rhetoric is going nuclear, but the memo to planet Earth is this. We do need to get serious about nukes. Nerves also fraught in Ukraine itself, even on TV talk shows. The guy getting punched was a pro-Russian politician. The ex-president that we interviewed yesterday sauntered over in despair. The scrum an unseemly insight into the entrails of Ukrainian democracy. Words have been weaponized in this crisis with human consequences. These were civilians in eastern Ukraine today told to flee a supposed attack from the Kiev government, which the Ukrainians flatly denied. So is this exodus really necessary? Most people are staying put. And yet the potential for tragedy here is immense. The window for avoiding it shrinking fast. Well, there were indeed some eyebrows raised here by uh, why Vladimir Zelensky, the Ukrainian president, bothered to go all the way to Munich and leave the capital in these rather difficult times. Now, uh, judging from his speech, he was very keen to eyeball his fellow leaders and tell them to their face that it is also their fault, that it is the West's fault that Ukraine finds itself in such a vulnerable position. He accused them of appeasement eight years ago when the Maidan protests took place, leading to the pro-Russian president here leaving, and then, of course, directly to the occupation of Crimea and much of Donbass in eastern Ukraine. At home, by the way, his approval ratings are dismal and plummeting, and he's presumably trying to shore up his own domestic credentials. The conversations about security in Europe are finally taking place, but with Russia holding a gun to Ukraine's head, it is an astonishing test of wills, a power struggle involving a toxic mixture of grand ideas, vital interests, a lot of history, domestic polities, and as you just saw in my piece, plenty of armies and missiles. An old-school great game with potentially deadly consequences in the 21st century. Kathy. Matt, thanks very much.
Well, a short time ago, I spoke to the Conservative MP Tobias Elwood, who's chair of the Commons Defence Select Committee and is at the summit in Munich. I asked him how he would describe the gravity of the situation in Ukraine. The prospect of war in Europe is very, very real indeed. We're seeing Russia following its very familiar playbook in developing its false narratives to provoke Ukraine into conflict. But I have to say there are some difficult questions being asked here at the Munich Security Conference, given the imminence of an invasion as to why the, the might of NATO, the most powerful military alliance in history, does not have the ability to prevent a European democracy from being invaded. And the short answer is, is that we've hidden behind the fact that Ukraine is not a member of NATO. So we're sort of exempting ourselves from that responsibility. Well, having seen Russia test fire its nuclear missile, nuclear-capable missiles today, um, do you not think sending troops to Ukraine, even if they were to ask, obviously, do you not think that would inflame the situation, could lead to some kind of nuclear confrontation? Yeah, no, the moment's gone. Let's make it clear. We didn't uh, have the foresight, the situational awareness, six months ago to recognise where this was heading. I called for a division to move there, to, to, to Ukraine, and that would have made Putin think twice. But when you look at that firepower on display from Russia today, wouldn't it have been folly to try and, you know, you could be risking some kind of awful nuclear confrontation if you had done what you suggested months ago? At that point, you could have triggered so something worse. Right, and then we're back in 1938 territory, aren't we? Where we kowtow to our adversary because we don't stand up for what we believe in. Maybe we're haunted by Afghanistan and Iraq, understandably, but those is where we chose to invade a country. What we're doing here is coming to the support of a European democracy to prevent an invasion. And I can assure you that had a NATO division gone in there with a number of countries from across the West, Putin would have thought twice about triggering something much, much more unstable and confrontation with the West. If an invasion does happen, there is the risk of millions of people being displaced from Ukraine. Given that the government hasn't fulfilled its promises to all those refugees from Afghanistan, thousands of whom are still living in hotels, do you have any confidence that Boris Johnson's government will welcome Ukrainians who have been displaced? There will be an insurgency that will develop inside Ukraine, depending on how far Russia will advance in its attack. How are we going to support that insurgency? Is there going to be a, uh, a government in exile? How are we going to provide the assistance to make sure that uh, Russia will, make, will feel so uncomfortable here that they, it will not be in their interest to stay for very long at all if they do invade? There are so many questions that need to be worked through. It does require, as I you know, reiterate, the leaders from the key nations, from you know, Germany, from France, from uh, Britain and the United States, to get together. I've said this before, it's almost like we need another Casablanca conference. We've forgotten what the West uh, stands for, what we believe in, what we're willing to defend. We've forgotten what's written on the tin of NATO, which is European security. This is all now coming to the fore. Okay, so interesting perspective here, guys, coming to us from our, uh, our, our supposed allies, right? I mean, uh, wait, wait, wait. We're, we're still part of the crown colony, aren't we? Anyhow, so the way that they're framing this, you know, it's very quite possible that a lot of these people are well-meaning. And I don't mean to get off topic here, guys, but uh, it, it makes me think about that movie. 
yeah, that movie that kind of just came out but didn't just come out. Uh, I don't know if all I don't know who all of you all might have seen that um, that movie called Don't Look Up, right? Don't Look Up. Um, now I don't know what anyone else thought about that, but <laughs> I mean, come on, guys, they were telling us how they work. <laughs> They are telling us how they run things. Uh, they are telling us how they do things. They're telling us how the world works, you know? So, I mean, the guy that was speaking right there may have just been fed his lines about what to say because whomever it is that's pulling the strings and is controlling him uh, and ha actually has no reason, understanding, or depth of, you know, grasp on the entire situation that's been happening over there historically. So, I don't know, you know? It's like uh, these people who... Um, uh, willful idiots, I guess, is is kind of the term that comes into mind. But that's where you're talking, because you know he's talking about having sent over troops and arms six months ago, and she's like, "Well, that would have caused another conflict." And you know, then he's like, "Well, then you know, we'd be like in World War II situation, and then we would just be kowtowing to our a adversaries." And, and he's like, "But we're literally going over there to prevent uh, an invasion." Which, <laughs> Iraq, hello, Afghanistan, hello, Libya, hello. Like we remember, you know, we don't have the memory of goldfish anymore. As much as they'd like us to believe, as much as their political uh, political handlers, you know, all of the Olivia, what, are they, what is that woman's name again from Scandal? Olivia uh, Bell or what was her name? Anyways, you guys know I'm talking about. But uh, yeah, like her, okay. <laughs> All of the people that do their makeup, and make sure they say the right thing and they're seen and they're, they're publicists, you know, they're PR people, right? <laughs> That's, and they're like, oh, don't worry about it. Americans will forget. I mean, our, our polls and our studies show Americans forget about things in three weeks. So we'll just keep doing whatever the heck that we want to do. And they'll never be none, they'll, they'll be none the wiser. They don't even remember about things from like, you know. 10 or 20 years ago, what makes you think that they're going to remember about uh, a history of a country and an entire conflict that's been going on for decades? Okay, well, too bad, because we remember, ladies and gentlemen, okay? Let's take a look at this. Now, here's the example of the pantomime. Oh, this is a good, very good analogy for what we're seeing with the illegitimate administration that is the Biden administration, okay? I think this one also is coming to us from, oh, this is from the conservative treehouse, guys. So uh, this one is talking about the meeting between Kamala Harris and uh, Voldemort Zelensky. Um, an interesting article, guys. So let's see what she's got to say. It says here, the pantomime continues. Kamala Harris meets with Voldemar Zelensky in Munich and delivers cringeworthy remarks. Zelensky proclaims someone is lying. The fiasco of U.S. manipulation in Ukraine continues as the Biden administration dispatched Kamala Harris to play the role of a grown-up at the Munich conference. She failed. You will see in the first video below how positively cringeworthy the effort was from Harris as he tries to present himself as a serious person within a high-stakes geopolitical pantomime. The baseline remains the same. At the end and at the end of the meeting between Harris and Zelensky, the Ukrainian president delivered remarks to call the bluff of Joe Biden. The words someone is lying lead off his speech. 
President Zelensky emphasized the geopolitical farce when he said to the world, if the United States, and as an extension of NATO, is so certain that Russia is about to invade and destroy Ukraine's sovereignty, then why are they waiting to trigger deterrent sanctions? Ah, now talk about calling the bluff, okay, because... uh, We're not going to watch Zelensky's speech. It's more than 20 minutes long, but he does lead off by saying someone is lying. He doesn't even specifically say United... He didn't even have the United States in that equation of a sentence, like as complex as that sentence was. So I kind of feel like this was a bit of a reach, but he did indeed talk about these sanctions and like, well, you know, if uh, it's true, if Russia really is going to attack, if you really do have this evidence, which no one over here seems to have this evidence, the only ones that seem to have it is Ned Price and Antony Blinken. And there's no telling what kind of drugs they were on when they dreamed up that little scenario, like uh, in bed, Um, you know, why have they not taken any strides to stop Russia via sanctions? Okay. It's a, it, that is a good way to call someone's bluff, ladies and gentlemen. And I, I might also add uh, in that last news report when they were talking about even China, you notice it, it's BBC, it's Western backed propaganda. So they even say you might want to pay attention, President Putin, even China is sitting at the table for this one. And then China says uh, China will absolutely seize the importance of recognizing sovereign nations. That's the line that we got. Okay, so, uh, hey, West, how do you know China's not saying uh, that in reference to uh, the Donetsk and the Luhansk regions as sovereign nations, right? I mean, come on, it could be doublespeak. You know, them Chinese are slippery and it's not just because of the, uh, you know, the soy soy sauce. Okay, all right, let's get back to this. Now it says underneath the true answer to that question is the crux of the issue. All of these events within Ukraine are being manipulated by the U.S. State Department, the Deep State Department, and the U.S. intelligence apparatus, just as the events of 2014 in Ukraine were done before. We've talked about that here on the C-Report, guys, so hopefully you guys remember. It says, now let's watch this meeting between uh, Harris and Zelensky. And yes, we are going to watch this, guys. So uh, for those of you who cannot stomach seeing... uh, uh, was uh, what, what do we call her again? Hills up Harris. <laughs> you got four minutes to go use the bathroom. Okay, here we go. As you know, this is a decisive moment in our world's history. And this is an important meeting for that and many other reasons. I look forward in this discussion to hearing directly from you about the situation on the ground in Ukraine. I look forward to, in this way, also hearing from you about what your concerns are and also sharing with you information that we may have in a way that we will continue to work together. See, now, if I were President Zelensky, I'd be like, you don't know yet? You don't know what our concerns are? Like, did they not brief you before you got here? Uh, Have we not been having these talks for the last few months? Like, what is this all about? Like, who is this man? Who is this man that's trying to be a woman in front of me? That's the way I would be. I'd be like, have you not, have you not heard the news? Or I'd be like, uh, I thought you had intelligence. Like, <laughs> come on, Harris, what the heck? This is also a chance for me to reiterate the position of the United States as it relates to Ukraine. 
as I have said earlier today to our allies around the world, the United States takes seriously the importance of the integrity and the territorial integrity of Ukraine and your sovereignty. And the United States stands with Ukraine in this regard. If Russia further invades your country, as I mentioned earlier today, we will impose swift and severe economic sanctions. We have been clear about that. We are also clear that we would prefer that this would be resolved in a diplomatic way, and we have remained open to a diplomatic path to resolution. However, if Russia See, now, and at this point, I'd be like, just like it said, Putin's like, I mean, uh, Zelensky's like, well, why haven't you put sanctions on them since you know he's going to uh, invade on February 16th, 2022 at high noon, right? And then I would also say like, wait, you're talking about diplomacy. Then why do you guys keep talking about bombing the heck out of him and uh, pushing all this uh, uh, war porn fear on everyone, including the people of Ukraine, thereby hurting their economy and hurting their growth because everyone is uh, up at arms, so to speak, because they're about to get bombed out of this universe and invaded and, you know, killed by Russians. Yeah, it makes no sense. Russia takes aggressive action against Ukraine. We are prepared to implement and to do that work in a unified way with our allies around the world. Any threats to your country? We take seriously and we have rallied our allies and our partners to speak with one voice. And those voices have been reflected throughout the course of these last couple of days and before. So I look forward to our conversation and thank you. Thank you very much, Madam Vice President, and thank you for this meeting. This is our first meeting and I'm very grateful to you and to our team for having this opportunity to talk to you about the situation which is happening around our borders, about the risks and how to resolve this matter and I do agree with you in a peaceful and diplomatic manner as we have been doing all eight years in a row. We do clearly understand what is going on, this is our land and the only thing we want is to have peace, bring the peace back to our country and in this case we are very grateful to the United States, to you personally, to our strategic partners and President Biden. We have had many meetings with the congressmen and Senate members, and we are grateful for the bipartisan support of the United States. Today, we do need specific steps, specific support. Uh, we are uh, getting support from you in uh, supporting our defense uh, capacity, our army. This is something we are prepared to discuss and continue this dialogue because this is something that we are very interested in. When I say we, I mean not only Ukraine because our strong army is protecting Europe and we all want to be one unified body, one world which looks into the peaceful future. Uh, as regards to the sanction policy, we are grateful to you for your understanding that sanctions may uh, bring about peaceful uh, resolution of this matter. And I would like to share with you that uh, what, how we see this, what we think the needs are, and what, things, what we think can work. In any case, we believe in our own 
strengths and force the support of our partners, our army. And thank you very much again for this meeting. Okay, so I got to ask, and this, you, we can do this by a show of hands. Do you think him saying that one world was a shout out to the New World Order or what? Do you think he's one of them or do you think he's uh, literally on the good guy's side? What do you guys think? I'll uh, give you some time to put your answers in. No, just kidding. No, <laughs> we're not going to do that, guys. But that's a good question, right? I would kind of wonder that too. One, I mean, he hesitated. So maybe he was like, ah, oh, crap, maybe I shouldn't say one world. They're going to think I'm with the New World Order. I don't know, guys. Personally speaking, I don't think Zelensky is aligned with the New World Order. That's just me. Uh, I mean, hey, we'll, we will continue to watch this situation, obviously. But I kind of feel like Zelensky and Putin are, you know, messing with them, right? <laughs> Anyways, that's just me. I got nothing to stand on that. And I definitely won't die on that hill either. But uh, let's get back to this. I just, just, I mean, pantomime, guys. Like, she went over there just to say, she went over there just to say that, right? Like, they sent her over there just for that. <laughs> we just want to assure you that we stand with you and uh, 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 sanctions and, uh, you know, I'm a man. All right. That's all she went over there to say. He was like this woman. Anyways. Okay. All right. Let's get back into this article. Let's wrap this up. It says uh, President Zelensky has to pretend the words from Harris are accurate while simultaneously knowing she is a totally clueless pawn, a tool of the people behind Biden who sent her specifically in an effort to improve the way she is viewed by U.S. voters. Ha! Didn't work. The team behind Biden are trying to rebrand camp. Kamala Harris as a serious person, but her stupidity is so evident we cannot hear a word she is saying. So Zelensky knows the messenger from the United States is part of an act for domestic consumption, and yet the ramifications of the background conflict created by the United States in his nation are serious. Additionally, Zelensky knows the U.S. wants him removed, which is the only way the Deep State Department and D.C. politicians writ at, writ large, at large can achieve a stronger influence operation over internal politics within Ukraine. It really sucks for Zelensky. Like I said, this guy has a much harder path being in a doormat exploited country, one that's constantly being used and exploited by the Western-backed uh, agencies and, and world leaders. And then you also got Putin over there because they're using, they're literally using Ukraine to get into it with Russia. Why is that? Because they hate Russia. Why do they hate Russia? Because as we've talked about ad nauseum, Russia kicked the globalists out of his country. They kicked their central banks out. They are literally a sovereign nation. That means they literally control their own destiny. They're one of the few countries on this planet that do so. So whether or not they're a good guy or a bad guy or they're murderers or they're liars or whatever it is, guys, the point of the matter is Russia is a true sovereign nation, and this is why they are always painted as our enemy. Were they, uh, were they our enemy in uh, World War I? No, they weren't. Or World War II? Oh, no, you know, they were against the Nazis. Oh, we were friends with them then, right? And then uh, we had to start up the Cold War so that we could, uh, we could make some money, right? Because uh, all of the uh, military industrial coffers were going dry, okay? 
I mean, they they were allies with us during the the during the uh, American Revolution. They were allies with us during the War of eighteen twelve. They were allies with us during World War One and Two. I mean, hello. I mean, come on, let's let's take a little bit of a, a longer look at history here, guys. Like they have always stood beside the people who are trying to kick out the Western backed or the globalist, uh, what the Illuminati, the New World Order, whatever you want to call these 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 crap, bleh, these cats. For lack of a better word, I got I got some other words coming out of my mouth right now, but I'm trying to keep this PG-13 at least, guys. So, and so that's a clear picture in my view of what we're looking at here. Poor, poor Zelensky. Poor, poor Zelensky. I don't think I don't think he's a bad guy. I mean, he might be in the gray area for some, but I don't think he is a total sellout. I think he is trying to do what he can for his government, and we might note. Kamala Harris is much bigger than him. Look at that. <laughs> Look at them linebacker shoulders. Anyways, okay, let's move on. Okay, we're almost done. <laughs> okay, so the events unfolding inside Ukraine are being manipulated by the United States intelligence community and United States Deep State Department. The presumed conflict surrounding the always near Russia invasion is a total pretense. Eastern Ukrainians consider themselves Russian. They always have. Eastern Ukraine likes Russia, relates to Russia, and is not predisposed to like the Western influence in the rest of the country. Eastern Ukraine is to Russia what Puerto Rico is to the United States. Consider, when Puerto Rico there. Uh, within Puerto Rico, there are people who want to be authentic to their own territorial sovereignty. They want to get away from the United States. At the same time, there are people in Puerto Rico who want and need the relationship with the United States to remain connected. The business interests in Puerto Rico and specifically the multinational investment groups in Puerto Rico want the benefits of the U.S. Treasury to remain in place. About half of Puerto Rico wants to be independent and about half of Puerto Rico wants to remain connected to the United States. In Ukraine, about half of the country wants to be independent, the separatists, and they are, they are what we would call nationalists. They have no issue with Russia. However, about half the country also wants to be connected to the West in the sense and values of NATO and European perspectives. They are a blend of globalists, moderate leftists, and independent thinkers. As in Puerto Rico, the multinational corporations and business interests in Ukraine come down on the side of keeping Ukraine connected to Western Europe. The U.S. State Department is aligned with those multinational goals and globalist objectives. Into this mix of convoluted interests, a battle of influence is taking place. Russia is portrayed as the enemy because an honest conversation about the dynamics is never permitted by the globalist team members. The last thing NATO wants is a public discussion about how their geopolitical aspirations and intents are created around the Western European support for globalism and the World Economic Forum. The Eastern Ukrainian separatists, looked favorable by Russia, 
are having small military battles with the Western Ukrainian military, supported by Joe Biden and NATO. It is in Biden and NATO's interest to overemphasize the role of Russia and position the Western media view as if Putin is about to invade. This helps cloud the ongoing underlying internal battle and the influence operations carried out by the intelligence apparatus, the deep state department, and the multinational benefactors. Then there's Zelensky. On one hand, Zelensky does not want to be uh, does not want to be to Vladimir Putin what Kim Jong Un in North Korea is to Chairman Xi Jinping in China. However, on the other hand, Zelensky does not want his country Ukraine to be a playground for geopolitical influence operations by the United States, NATO, Western Europe, and multinationals like the World Bank and the World Economic Forum. Right now, for his country, it sucks to be stuck in this position. That aspect is made worse because the Biden administration wants to remove Zelensky so they can have a person in charge of Ukraine that is more easily manipulated for their interests. Let's talk about Poroshenko, guys. They're trying to bring him back. They're trying to make him the president there right now, right as we speak. The Biden administration, and this is the guy that was in Biden's back pocket. Right. This is the guy in Burisma. Right. That that uh, shut all that down. Now, it says here the Biden administration is using the threat of a Russian invasion to weaken Zelensky. Zelensky knows Russia is not invading. He also knows there is a large faction of people in the eastern portion of his country who like Russia. The people in the pro-Russia eastern Ukraine region, those who do not like Russia and are in the minority are physically moving back toward the western side just in case. The U.S. intelligence apparatus and propaganda machine, the Deep State, or the State Department, is currently carrying out operations in eastern Ukraine working both sides of the separatist movement as they seek to portray Russia as the influence. Consider if a large portion of Texas wanted to finally get rid of the leftist lunacy and secede from the United States. The Biden administration then blames Mexico and shouts that Mexico wants uh, is about to invade Texas as cover for their support of that portion of the Texas Democrats who want to remain in the United States. After the unavoidable pretense of a meeting with clueless pawn Kamala Harris, President Zelensky spoke to Munich conference and he called the bluff of NATO and specifically Joe Biden. However, he has to do it carefully, yet he is frustrated. Someone is lying, he says. Okay, and like I said, we're not going to watch that because it's like 20 or 30 minutes long. But dang, ladies and gentlemen, that's a pretty good cap on that if you ask me. Okay, now we're going to watch a video about this endless conflict in Ukraine. We got some good stuff coming up, guys, because like I'm telling you, what we're seeing here is the deep state, deep state, deep state, deep state department. Okay, and they're trying to exert their influence on this geopolitical. Is this a regime change? Is this the ultimate goal to get Zelensky out because he doesn't play ball with them? But we have people like uh, Poroshenko, who was the previous president and got ousted. He got defeated uh, in, in, in a populist vote where the people of Ukraine voted in Zelensky. 
Poroshenko, of course, being one of the most corrupt presidents that has ever existed in Ukraine and is being hailed by Western-backed media as the savior of Ukraine to beat Putin. Okay, that's the way he's being taken. He's not getting arrested. He's even though he was indicted for treason in in Ukraine, all that is going on in the background. Uh, you know, we I haven't I have not dug into that particular story to see where it's developing. But where we left off, the Western-backed media was hailing the corrupt Poroshenko as Ukraine's savior. That says something, guys. Always, 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 at least my MO is find, finding the counterpoint to what Western-backed media is propagandizing. All right? Now, does that mean that I'm right in my analysis? Not all the time. Happy to say so far it has been, but what I am saying is that that's just where I base my, that's where my foundation lies on these international stories that I share with you guys is looking at a counterpoint and you know, there can be several of them, but looking at a counterpoint to what the main narrative that's coming out of the propaganda machines. Okay. And once you get that kind of uh, a fix on your starting point, it's, kind of easy but you also have to do your homework and like dig into this stuff and look at history and read 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 ladies but hey if you don't like to read i'll do it for you so <laughs> so come on in guys you know i like to read okay so let's take a look at this now admittedly this is from box okay but even so sometimes these sometimes these uh propaganda machines put out information that is resourceful. I'm not giving them any credit, guys. I cannot stand Vox. Uh, but this one does talk to it because they're like, well, you know, Vox is mostly American. So they're not going to really be interested to look at what's going on in Ukraine. Okay. Keep in mind, this is an enemy, uh, an enemy uh, propaganda machine here. So uh, take it with a grain of salt and uh, we can try and weed through some of their points if I find it necessary. Otherwise, it's a history lesson. Uh, we're going into the deep staters involvement in this guys. Cause like I said, like, like even the, just uh, the, the conservative Treehouse um, article we just read says they're trying to exert their influence through deep state NATO, the uh, deep state department, all of the old familiar rats that were involved in the Ukraine area and other rats, you guys are going to recognize some of their names. They're bringing them back out guys. They're starting to put them on parade again, all right? And that's another signal about who's really involved here, okay? We're going to, we're, a lot of these rats are from the Obama administration. A lot of these rats were involved when Biden was the vice president. So they're coming back out. But let's take a look at this history of conflict. It's only like four minutes long, so it's brief. But it, it brings out some other interesting points about other key players that are going on in the conflict in the Donbass region. Okay? All right. Let's take a gander. This is eastern Ukraine. Conflict broke out here in 2014, and it hasn't ended. There are about 100,000 fighters stationed here, which makes it one of the most heavily militarized areas on Earth. There are Ukrainian forces to the west, and Russia-backed separatist militias to the east. Fighting between the two groups occurs here, along the contact line. In 2015, after nearly a year of deadly fighting, a peace agreement called for a ceasefire, creating this security zone. The agreement was supposed to stop the fighting and resolve the conflict between Ukraine and the separatists. But three years later, the security zone remains the most violent place in Ukraine.
The ceasefire is violated almost every single day in East Ukraine, which reportedly puts about 100,000 civilians in constant danger. Over 10,000 people have died since the conflict in Ukraine began, and about 1.5 million have been displaced, while both sides continue to build up their forces. The conflict began at the end of 2013, when the Ukrainian government rejected an association with the European Union in order to build stronger ties with Russia. The pro-Moscow move led to massive protests in the capital, Kiev, which turned deadly by 2014. Russia took advantage of the chaos and sent its military in to annex Crimea in March. A month later, pro-Russian separatists in the Donbas seized the cities of Luhansk and Donetsk and declared them independent from Ukraine. The Ukrainian army moved to take the region back, but Russia covertly joined the separatist rebels, which led to fierce fighting for several months. In February 2015, both sides... See, now I'm just pausing it there just to say, you see the rhetoric that they've used here. You know, Russia took advantage of what was going on in Crimea to annex them and take them over and invade them. Russia uh, covertly inserted their people into the Don Donbass region in order to destabilize it, right? And, and, and to try and invade it and annex them as well. But that's not 100% what we've gone through so far. Like what we've talked about so far has to do with the fact that you have these regions that want to be independent. They want to be sovereign. Does that mean they want to be part of Russia? No, but they also don't want to be part of Ukraine. So that's where we are today settled on a peace agreement called Minsk II. The deal laid down conditions for a ceasefire in the security zone, where heavy artillery, tanks, and mortars were banned. Foreign militaries, meaning Russia, had to leave Ukraine. It also recognized the two separatist areas, the Donetsk People's Republic and the Luhansk People's Republic, and outlined how they could be reincorporated back into Ukraine. But despite the agreement, none of that has happened. In order to understand why, you have to know what Ukraine means to Russia's president, Vladimir Putin. Last one out of the Soviet Union, please turn out the light. The vitally important Ukraine announced independence for the republic. The people there are more Russian than Ukrainians. Much to fear, but Ukraine would be a catastrophe. Ukraine was part of the Russian Empire in the 19th century and the Soviet Union in the 20th. When the Soviet Union dissolved in 1991, its western territory broke into independent states, including Ukraine. They formed a buffer between Russia and Western Europe. But in the 90s and 2000s, these countries started drifting westward, and many joined the EU. By invading Ukraine, Putin was able to destabilize and stop it from developing a stronger relationship with Western Europe. Russia continues to fuel the fighting by supporting the separatists and keeps its own military at the ready. Meanwhile, Ukraine's government is forced to devote resources to its defense. Both sides have ignored the ceasefire so far, and a closer look at the front lines reveals just how unstable the region is. The separatist rebels in the LPR and DPR have funding, weapons, and the assurance of the massive Russian military behind them. They are responsible for the majority of the ceasefire violations. On the Ukrainian side, the forces are a mix of Ukrainian army soldiers and volunteer militias. These militias are funded by Ukrainian oligarchs and members of parliament. Some have far-right views and even have attacked the Kiev government. But Kiev continues to fund and arm these groups anyway. It's their only defense against the Russia-backed rebels in the east. So despite a ceasefire that could have ended the conflict, there's an active war on the ground. Both sides continue to fire heavy artillery on a daily basis as a show of strength. Power, water, and supplies are common targets, and the heaviest price is paid by the hundreds of thousands of civilians 
trapped in the crossfire. such dramatic music isn't it okay so now there that's that's a little bit of an overview like i said it's from a uh, it's it's from a western back kind of propagandist thing that you got going on there guys uh but nevertheless um uh, something i really wanted you guys to kind of key cue into key into however you want to put it was uh who they have fighting the war for them. It's another, th- it's another example that is illustrative about how whenever we're talking about... Um, let me get that kind of fixed. Whenever we're talking about uh, these types of conflicts, that they have to use groups. They have to use people that they wouldn't normally do as a proxy war or proxy army to, to, to assist them in... in securing the this that land so let's take ukraine for example and it, to me this also gives you another idea of who's actually running this conflict because they said the ukrainian government keeping in mind that this is vox okay the ukrainian government ukrainian government is paying and using far left and far right groups to fight against the separatists in order to maintain their posturing there. Okay, so there you and that some of these groups have actually attacked the capital of Ukraine. So who is using these groups? Who's employing these groups, these far left or far right radical groups? Some of them are Nazis. We're going to get into that in just a minute, guys. But they're using them to fight the separatists. So, wh- what? You know, like, really? Like, okay, so you're using neo-Nazis or far-right or far-left groups, right, to try and secure your land, and these groups also attack your country. That Something about that just does not make sense. But Vox excuses it. They said, well, they have to do this. Well, why would they have to do this? Don't you think that if there were people who were really, truly Ukrainian nationalists, I'm not saying that there aren't, but why wouldn't the Ukrainian army go over there to secure these lands? Why wouldn't the Ukrainian military go over there? Why would you hire groups that amount to terrorist organizations because they've attacked your capital? Why would you use these groups? Why wouldn't you use your own damn military? to go and secure these lands. If this truly is genuinely a separatist secession movement, a a revolution within your country, if this isn't all being manufactured by the deep state, the globalists, you know, to, to have this conflict there in the ground. Okay. I mean, that to me is like, duh, this is obvious. This is what we've seen here. What with ISIS, ISIS K, even, the Taliban, you know, back in the 2000s and then 1970s through the 2000s, you know, basically. So I'm not talking about the current Taliban administration. I'm still holding my ground on what I think is going on there, personally speaking, whether or not people agree with me. Time will tell. History will tell in the end. This is not about, this is not about being right. This is just about trying to be as accurate as possible, okay? <laughs> There's a difference between right and being accurate, okay? So anyhow... So that to me is a big, a big smoking gun right there that Ukraine is employing terrorist groups that attack their own government to try and hold 
the line, so to speak. No! No! So is it fair to say that the Donbass region, which is made of Luhansk, and uh, which includes Luhansk and also Donetsk, is controlled by the globalists? Or controlled by the deep state? Nah! I don't think so, because if that were the case, then they would have totally overrun Russia. I mean, this is, this is a, unless, as was suggested in the article by the conservative treehouse, these deep staters uh, who are um, provoking both sides of the conflict. And we all know that the globalists, that is, that is in their standard operating procedure, right? Control both sides of the conflict so we win in the end. Very could very well be true. But then if that's the case, then you have Russia sending in troops or sending in support for separatists who are actually deep staters. And if Russia is against the deep staters, then why would they be supporting them in that region? Just to be a pain in the butt to uh, President Zelensky or just to be a pain in the butt to the deep state globalists by helping them, uh, helping them provoke two sides of a conflict, it doesn't make sense. So I don't think the deep state controls this region. I think they're sending in provocateurs, okay? And I think that there is probably genuine uh, nationalists in this country that want to be separate from Ukraine and from Russia. I mean, Putin has never said, Putin has said that all of this land is, you know, our, our like ancestral land. It was taken away from Russia. Yes. But he's never said that he's going to make Donetsk and Luhansk become part of their country. Now, should something of that happen later on? That's different. Okay. But he is not threatened to invade this land. And as we stand right now, he has said that he recognizes their sovereignty. So that changes the game. All right. Now let's talk about these uh, neo-Nazis, these right uh, wingers, these left winger extremists, these terrorist organizations that are fighting the war for Ukraine and uh, trying to maintain these lands. Let's check this out real quick. Uh, let's see here. This article comes from. Oh, God, this guy's this. This is the this is one of those. Oh, this is one of those guys. This comes from the dishonorable mention the World Socialist website. Ooh, cringe, cringe, cringe. People are going to be like, I knew it. He's a shill. I knew he's reading. He's wording. He's reading something from the World Socialist. Blah, 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 blah. Okay. Anyways. All right. <laughs> Let's read this. It says NBC's Richard Engel uh, promotes Ukraine's neo-Nazi Azov Battalion. Now, before all you guys go uh, go off on a, a shilling moment with me here, I might add that this link was also shared by the Gateway Pundit. So, meh. All right, here we go. Uh, it says, in a news broadcast Monday evening, NBC's chief foreign policy correspondent, uh, Richard Engel, told viewers how some communities in Ukraine are preparing for war with Russia by taking matters into their own hands. The report showed Ukrainian soldiers delivering basic training for the whole family, first aid and weapons training to a small group of Moripol residents, including children and the elderly. One of them, 79-year-old Valentina Konstantinovska, wielding an AK-47, was made the face of Ukrainian resistance by the world's newspapers. Angle left out of his account... The fact that the military formation providing Konstantinovka's 
training was the neo-Nazi Azov Battalion, clearly identifiable by its Wolfsangle insignia used by Hitler's SS in the Second World War. The concealed promotion of fascist militias says more about the U.S.-led war drive against Russia over Ukraine than a hundred lying press conferences. Any conflict would not be a war for democracy or self-determination, but a bloodbath of the Russian and Ukrainian working class designed to dismantle Russia. Far-right forces built up over years with United States support would be centrally involved. The Azov Battalion was founded by the anti-Semite Andriy Beletsky in 2014. It incorporated many members of Beletsky's former ultra-nationalist white supremacist organizations, Patriot of Ukraine, and the Social National Assembly. These tendencies trace their political roots back to the organization of Ukrainian nationalists headed by Stephen Bandera and the Ukrainian insurgent army, the UPA. During World War II, the OUN and the UPA allied with Nazi Germany against the Soviet Union and carried out massacres of tens of thousands of Jews, Poles, and Ukrainians sympathetic to the Soviet Union. After the war, both U.S. and British intelligence services lent support to Bandera and the UPA. After the dissolution of the Soviet Union in 1991, scores of far-right organizations sprang up in Ukraine, as in all the former Soviet states, drawing on this filthy anti-communist heritage and supported by the imperialist powers. Now I'm all about being anti-communist. So, like I said, this is from uh, this is from one of those uh, magazines, guys. And it says here, the Viktor Yoshenko uh, government, installed by the U.S.-backed Orange Revolution in 2004, declared Bandera a national hero, honored OUN and UPA fighters, and heavily promoted the OUN successor organization, the Congress of Ukrainian Nationalists, and the neo-Nazi Svoboda Party. Now, if I'm not mistaken, and I would have to get the sauce on this, but we had Tiki Torture Marchers during this time. And if you guys remember the Tiki Torture Marchers that were present during the, uh, what was it? Um, Was it West Virginia or Virginia? Charleston, right? Where they were like, oh, we have white supremacists here. And then the same Tiki Torture Marchers appeared, like four of them appeared, like standing next to a bus for uh, Glenn Youngkin over in Virginia. The Tiki Torture Marchers were seen in mass during this time in Ukraine, okay? Like, that says something. Oh, man, isn't it obvious that these people are all organizing with the same individuals? It's the same people every time, guys, and they're using the same battle plans basically all around the world. So it's rather obvious just based on their mechanisms and their playbooks that uh, these are the same people. I mean, come on. All right, okay, let's let's continue. Uh, Goes on to say here, During the Euromaidan events of 2013 and 14, then United States Undersecretary of State for Europe and Asia, Victoria Nuland, admitted that Washington had spent $5 billion on Ukraine since the 1990s, promoting democratic skills, civic participation, and good governance. That is, bankrolling any and every political force conducive to United States interests. 
The Ukrainian far and fascist right was then mobilized in 2013 and 14 to overthrow the more pro-Russian president Viktor Yanukovych. <laughs> Sorry, guys, Yanukovych. The SNA and the Patriot of Ukraine, together with Svoboda and other far-right organizations gathered in the right sector umbrella group, played the key role in transforming amorphous anti-government protests into violent confrontations and ultimately a coup. Substantial evidence suggests that snipers who shot protesters dead were organized by the far-right opposition to inflame the situation. And again here, guys, you have to think about the summer of love. You have to think about how they have Antifa and BLM Open, fasc open fascists and Marxists who claim to be anti-fascism. And they're doing quite the same thing here. They're mobilizing these people to be the, be the, to be the provocateurs of violence and to, um, to try and create chaos so that they can then control the situation and control the narrative. These are the beginnings of colored revolutions in the United States of America. We're seeing that this is the thing, these are the things that they've been employing across the rest of the world for decades, right? for decades. And so we are seeing that what happened in Maidan was exactly, exactly that, a colored revolution. And it was backed by the West and it was a coup against a government. And yet no left-leaning liberal, no Democrat, no one in the media seems to be thinking and or talking about these things or drawing the same type of, uh, of similarity. Main reason being because they are what? They are Western-backed propagandists. They are shamestream, lamestream, fake news, legacy, propaganda, mockingbird media. And that's why we look for the counterpoint here at the C report, because there's always a counterpoint. And that narrative is quite often more true than the garbage that they throw at us every day. Let's get back to the article. Now, Substantial evidence suggests that snipers who shot protesters dead were organized by the far-right opposition to inflame the situation. Yanukovych fled the country on February 21st, and the new government swiftly integrated its fascist midwives into the security structures of the state. Svoboda received several key posts, including Secretary of the National Security and Defense Council for party co-founder Andriy Pariyubi, Vice, Pre Vice Prime Minister for Oleksandr Sik, Prosecutor General for Ole Maninsky, and Minister of Education Sergei Kievet. Right sector leader Dimitro Yarosh was offered the position of Periubi's deputy but rejected it. He later became an advisor to the commander of Ukraine's armed forces, Viktor Musen Musenko. In April 2014, this far-right government authorized the creation of volunteer paramilitary formations to crush resistance in the rest of the country. The Azov Battalion was formed and quickly involved in multiple bloody, bloody clashes with pro-Russia separatists in Mariupol, Marinka, Ilovaisk, and Novoasvask. <laughs> It was incorporated into the National Guard of Ukraine in November of 2014. And there you go. That's some of their military insignia. What does that look like, ladies and gentlemen? All right. And so apparently, government of Ukraine is funding these people to hold down the Luhansk and the Donetsk area. Yeah. I mean, come on, guys. Like, yeah, we don't want to go that far to the dark side, right? By employing the dark side to, to win the light. I don't make no sense to me. 
In 2015 to 2016, the Office of the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights connected Azov with war crimes, including mass looting, unlawful detention, and torture. Since Yanukovych's ouster, the U.S. and its allies have ensured that the Ukrainian regime, particularly its far-right paramilitaries, remain a significant and threatening force. Billions of dollars have been spent supporting the government and supplying and training its armed forces. In April 2015, nearly 300 members of the United States 173rd Airborne Brigade were sent to Ukraine to train Ukrainian soldiers, including members of the Azov Battalion. They were joined by British, Canadian, and Polish soldiers in Operation Fearless Guardian. That December, President Barack Obama, old Barry Sotero, signed into law the 2016 Consolidated Appropriations Act, deliberately omitting an amendment reading, None of the funds made available by this act may be used to provide arms training or other assistance to the Azov Battalion. The version with the amendment had been passed unanimously by the House of Representatives, but not sent to the Senate after pressure from the Pentagon. With the war drive against Russia again in full swing, the Azov fascists are now dutifully presented on America's TV screens as the providers of basic training for the whole family. Two essential facts about the Ukraine crisis are underscored by Engel's report. First, that Ukraine is being used as a breeding ground for fascist anti-Russian forces, potential provocateurs of a military confrontation in the Donbass, Crimea, or across the Russian border. Azov's founder and then commander, Beletsky, denounced the September 2014 ceasefire with Donbass separatists saying, if it was a tactical move, there's nothing wrong with it. If it's an attempt to reach an agreement concerning Ukrainian soil with separatists, then obviously it's betrayal. Second, not a single word or image presented by the corporate media in the imperialist countries can be believed. Its journalists are so embedded in the military security apparatus and foreign policy establishment, especially in the United States, that they serve as a conduit for a state psyops operation leveled against the population. The critical task for the international working class is to consciously reject the propaganda of its governments and take an independent political stand. It can do so by adopting the... Okay, so we don't need to read this crap right here, right? Like, they're all, let's be socialists and hold hands, okay? All right, so yeah, we're parsing through the information, ladies and gentlemen. We curate the information here at the Sea Report. Uh, and just because you agree with what this article says does not make you a socialist, okay? So let's just leave that there, all right? But that's what we do here, guys. That's what we do here. We debunk the mainstream media as much as possible. The lamestream, shamestream media. Now let's jump back into friendlier territory, okay? Let's take a look at this article from the Gateway Pundit. The Sea Report and all the shows on this podcast channel are 100% listener supported. We don't have corporate sponsors. We don't have independent sponsors. Our sponsors are you, the listener. So if you like the work we do and like what we have to say and contribute to the world of news and information and entertainment, please show us your support. Make a monthly donation to help sustain future episodes at anchor.fm slash the sea report. Your support is greatly appreciated. From 99 cents per month to 4.99 per month to 9.99 per month. 
Every donation counts, and every bit helps. Show your support for The Sea Report and other shows on this podcast channel by visiting anchor.fm slash The Sea Report. And thanks, y'all. Okay, so this one has to do with the Nazis. Now, check out how this is connected, ladies and gentlemen, to happenings here in the United States. Now, some of you guys might have caught on to this when it was happening. This goes right up to the January 6th false flag Capitol riots that took place last January, all right? And that we have these Nazi influences, the Azov Battalion, here on the ground in the United States of America. And guess where they popped up? They popped up at the Capitol on January 6th during the false flag riots. Go figure! What's up with that? Why would they be here? Why aren't they over in Ukraine you know, defending the the Donbass region against uh, these violent Russian separatists, right? I mean, am I right or am I wrong? I don't know. You tell me. Okay, let's see what this article says. It says, exclusive, Biden's friends in Ukraine include the neo-Nazi Azov Battalion, known for brutal attacks on immigrants, gypsies, and transvestites. Or transvestites. So I don't know who this is. Maxime Yorosh. Uh, It says in this photo that he is uh, leading street riots in Kiev. And uh, this is November 25th, 2019. Okay. Look at how many gray heads they have in there. Now it says Biden's friends in Ukraine include some very bad people. One group is the Azov Battalion, a neo-Nazi group associated with violent atrocities against immigrants, gypsies, and transvestites in Ukraine. Uh, and this past week, they report, NBC reported on the efforts of Ukraine to prepare for a Russian invasion. And uh, it says here in a news broadcast on Monday evening, NBC's chief uh, f- foreign policy correspondent, Richard Engel, told viewers on how some communities in Ukraine are preparing for war with Russia by taking matters into their own hands. Spoiler alert, we just read all of this. They got this. They say NBC reported, but this actually came from the World Socialist website. Okay, I'm just saying so you guys can see I'm not shilling over here. All right, so let's go ahead and skip past this. Everything we just read is what that is right there. Okay, so let's jump down. Let's jump down to here. Uh, The Obama Biden administration is friends of the neo-Nazi group, the Azov Brigade. They recognized them in the United States Embassy in Ukraine in 2014. Pictured here. We have Maxime Yarish and Jeff Pyatt. Now, this is an important name. We'll get to him in a minute. This is 2014 Ambassador Pyatt honoring Ukrainian heroes. Okay, this is a Nazi. All right. There's the the U.S. Ambassador to Ukraine, 2013 to 2014, Jeff Pyatt. All right. This is from the Atlantic Council. Okay. Why Azov should not be designated a foreign terrorist organization? Okay, Atlantic Council, ladies and gentlemen, Atlantic Council, all right? And then we have this, why he should not be designated a terrorist organization, even though Azov is, they're neo-Nazis, all right? Yeah, okay. Here's Maxime Yarish again, holding a hatchet. Okay, so it says here, this neo-Nazi group is connected to a former leader of Ukraine, Petro Poroshenko, one of the most corrupt presidents, all right? He's the one that did the quid pro quo with Joe. Hello. Okay. All right. 
They have rallied in the streets of Kiev or Kiev. I guess it just depends on how they spell it. Sometimes they spell it with a Y and an I. Sometimes they spell it with an I and an E. It always starts with a K and a V and ends with a V. So anyways, Kiev, Kiev, same difference. All right. They have rallied in the streets of Kiev and raised their Nazi flags. One scary violent member is Maxime Yarush. Okay, so here's John Kerry in the back here. I'm going to expand this a little bit more for you guys. Here's John Kerry in the back here. Here's Petro Poroshenko. Here's Jeff Pyatt. Here's Victoria Newland. All right. All of these people were involved in, in the Biden administration, obviously, or I'm sorry, the Ob- Obama administration. Uh, and they were all there on the ground, basically, during that whole onset. And then, of course, you know, you have, uh, you have um, a, a VP Biden going over there to do his quid pro Joe stuff. Uh, caption on these photos show Assistant Secretary Victoria Newland, Jeffrey Pyatt, Ukrainian President Petro Poroshenko, and U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry in Warsaw, Poland in June 2014. There is the Azov Battalion in 2015, uh, replete with Nazi regalia and Nazi signs and SS and stormtrooper signal, all that stuff. Okay, that's uh, 2015. Then you have November 28th, 2020 at a military parade with some jihadi brothers. Okay, there's Maxime Yarush. This is the same guy that's pictured uh, as being uh, the leader of this group, this Azov group, right? Am I saying that right? Azov, Azov, right? Azov. Okay, cool. All right, let's move on down, move on down. Uh, Yarush, uh, Maxime Yarush was on the same flight as Poroshenko, from South America to Europe. Yurush gets his kicks out of assaulting immigrants, gypsies, and transvestites in Ukraine. He has filmed himself during his assault and takes pride in beating these innocents. This is who Biden supports in Ukraine. Petro Poroshenko sharing a flight from Ecuador to Holland with this Maxime Yarush guy. And uh, I guess this is him assaulting people. 2020 assaulting refugees, gypsies, and transvestites. And yeah, we don't need to look at that. I don't want to look at that. Okay. Uh, And then there's a video, but we're not going to watch that. And Ukrainian neo-Nazis were also identified at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. These individuals have never been discussed or subpoenaed by the corrupt January 6th investigation, but they should be on the top of the list. Let me go ahead and uh, there's some photos in here too as well. Let me show it to you guys. Oh, where'd the photos go? There were, oh, here we go. You guys want to take a look at this real quick? Let's take a look at this real quick. Okay. So neo-Nazi Ukrainians and forefathers of Antifa instigated and participated in the Capitol Hill false flag riot alongside Antifa. So there's Sergei Debianabinian. <laughs> so this is, this is just the gateway pundit reporting on the fact that you had Ukrainian uh, neo-Nazis in the group. Okay. Antifa, the group of domestic terrorists that tore apart cities in the United States in 2020, ended up causing $2 billion in damage. And it's no surprise then to find out that Antifa's roots are in communists, communism and Nazis in Europe. Okay, we'll skip over some of that. I just want to show you guys the picture. Okay, so uh, let's see here. Here's this Sergei... Uh, uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, it says here, with the help of Yakov Applebaum from the Illustrated Primer, we know that Ukrainian neo-Nazis were at the Capitol on the 6th as well. One noted member of the fascist group who refers to itself as the Zebodendarites, Sergei was photographed at the Capitol with a man known as Jacob Anthony Chansley. Sergei was also in Ukrainian army and is wanted for horrible crimes in the past. War crimes. And it just shows a few more here. There's uh, Ior Kolomoyinsky. Just so you guys could see. Okay. And it shows you uh, who all these... Because remember that report said that oligarchs are also funding these, these, uh, these people, right? So it says here, all top TV channels belong to oligarchs. And it just gives you a breakdown there of what that looks like in Ukraine slash uh, Russia. It's going to be Ukraine mainly here. There's... Who's, what is this guy? The QAnon shaman? I walked right by that guy. I should have said Hello. All right. Okay, let's get back to focus, ladies and gentlemen. Let me see here. Okay. What do I got for you guys next? Now we've talked about the Nazis. Let's talk about this Heffa. That is Victoria Newland. Okay. Now, we just mentioned Victoria Newland. kind of showed her a picture of her with, uh, with uh, John Kerry and that Jeff Pyatt guy. Now, this is where I'm telling you they're starting to roll out the same old deep state rats, okay, to push this narrative of regime change along, etc. Let's check out a real quick report because I'm telling you guys the mainstream – they ain't so main anymore. The lamestream, shamestream, uh, fake news, legacy, mockingbird, propaganda, media. They're starting to roll these guys out again. As of like now, they're starting to roll them out again. Probably because these guys are the really what's behind a lot of this conflict and regime change, ladies and gentlemen, because they want Zelensky out. Uh, this is a report from PBS NewsHour. Eh. Okay, public broadcasting bleh, uses my uses my taxpayer dollars against me. Public broadcasting, whatever. Uh, but we're gonna listen to what they have to say, anyways, because we're telegraphing the enemy's movements here. I mean, you know, it is what it is. Okay. Now, Victoria Newland's featured in this, guys. So, everything's coming full circle here, y'all. It's all coming full circle. The rats are coming back to roost, so to speak said today as artillery that Ukraine blamed on Russian-backed separatists hit a kindergarten in the eastern part of the country. And as a tense standoff between the West and Russia came to a point in the United Nations Security Council. More than 150,000 Russian troops remain massed tonight on the borders of Ukraine. Nick Schifrin again starts our coverage. Near the line of contact between Ukrainian military and Russian-backed separatists, this morning a shell pierced the wall of a kindergarten classroom that on Tuesday had been full of five-year-olds and their teachers. This morning they fled from what the Ukrainian government called separatist shelling. 
The U.S. fears a Russian attack like this could be the first shot fired in a wider war that's about to start. We have reason to believe that they are engaged in a false flag operation to have an excuse to go in. Is your sense that this is going to happen now? Yes. Not, I, my sense this will happen in the next several days. Blinken. Secretary of State Antony Blinken made a last-minute visit to New York to reveal new intelligence about a possible Russian pretext. It could be a fabricated so-called terrorist bombing inside Russia, the invented discovery of a mass grave, a staged drone strike against civilians, or a fake, even a real, attack using chemical weapons. Russia may describe this event as ethnic cleansing or a genocide. Indeed, ahead of the meeting, Russia delivered to the Security Council what it called a joint. Isn't it funny how they knew that? Isn't it funny how they knew that? Now, we know that they've been saying it was going to be, uh, I don't know, a false flag for a minute, right? I mean, we know they've been saying that, okay? <laughs> they've been saying it. Uh, they were saying that actually probably since about the summertime. They, the summertime. A and before that, they were saying that Russia was uh, doing a coup against Zelensky. So they've just been playing Zelensky all in all, all together, guys, like 100%. Uh, let me see here. I'm going to, <laughs> I'm going to pull up something here in just a sec. And uh, the other thing I want to say is, what does he say? Blinken says uh, they're going to have a, a fabricated terrorist bombing in Russia by supposed Ukrainian forces. Okay. Uh, they're going to have a uh, full-scale invasion uh, oh, I apologize. That's the wrong line. It says here also, uh, or a fake discovery of a mass grave. Now, interesting enough, Putin just said that, like he just said that they have found a mass grave in the Donetsk region and that genocide is happening there. So I'm going to have to watch and see what this is going to develop into, or I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe he's playing with them again. You know what I mean? Like it, he very well could be, he very well could be like, uh, pantsing them again. They also said that there could be a fake or a real chemical attack or drone strikes on civilians to make them think that it was Ukraine that did it. So Ukraine has the pretense to go in. Now, here's the thing that I think would be interesting. If any of these scenarios are created by the deep state, what are they going to do if Russia doesn't respond? Okay. Are they then going to send their provocateurs in as Russians? Or are they just going to start a whole damn war and hope that it gets so bad so quick that no one is there trying to pick up the pieces? Okay. Now, uh, before we continue with this video, I just wanted to share this with you guys real quick. Because I've been haranguing the deep state department. <laughs> I've been haranguing the deep state department on their Instagram lately. <laughs> it's the only reason why I like social media. I mean, I just go on there literally to like poke at them. Um, I don't even go on there to tell people about my own damn show. You know, like I go on there to poke at these people. So this to me was the perfect example of the deep state department actually setting a talking point. Okay. And uh, believe it or not, as many times as I've harangued the deep state department, I actually got a lot of responses on this where people were just attacking me. So I figured, oh, I must really be onto something here. Now, notice they put at POTUS. What does that mean? That means they're, they're, they're telling him something. To me, that means they're telling you something because if I put at Deep State Department, it means I'm saying something to you. 
But they're, they're, this, this would look like they're saying this is what the POTUS said. Okay, to me, they're feeding a talking point to the White House. To the citizens of Russia, you are not our enemy, and I do not believe you want a bloody destructive war against Ukraine, a country and a people with whom you share such deep ties of family, history, and culture. Right, Deep State Department. Right. Like, Biden really went out and said that. I'm sure. I'm sure. Anyways, I told him, oh, so the Deep State Department does, in fact, give uh, POTUS his talking points. (laughs) And man, did that make people mad. Okay. Let's get back to this video. Point project with the news channel RT about, quote, war crimes in eastern Ukraine. RT, formerly known as Russia Today, has already been publishing stories about British trained, quote, saboteurs planning attacks and American mercenaries preparing a, quote, provocation using chemical weapons. Deputy Foreign Affairs Minister Sergei Rushinin blamed today's violence on Ukraine. People for many years have been subject to shelling by the Ukrainian army, And that has continued today. But U.S. officials say it's the Russian army that continues shelling in massive exercises in Belarus. Russia says it's withdrawing some troops. But senior U.S. officials say the number of Russian troops increased by 7,000 and they are poised for invasion. British intelligence even tweeted what it called Russia's possible axis of invasion on seven fronts. Saddam Hussein and his regime have made no effort, no effort, And 19 years after one of Blinken's predecessors gave a speech on false intelligence, Blinken embraced the comparison. I'm mindful that some have called into question our information, recalling previous instances where intelligence ultimately did not bear out. But let me be clear. I am here today not to start a war, but to prevent one. So clearly Antony Blinken is an clearly Antony Blinken is another Obama like you know copycat right he's he's just like he's just like Beto O'Rourke right Beto O'Rourke who who watches hours and hours of footage of Obama giving speeches just so he can mimic and emulate every single pause every single piece of cadence in his speech every mannerism uh they really look up to this guy obama whoever that is right but um it's their own damn fault if you think about it think about weapons of mass destruction right and then think about the media it's their own fault that someone like me is sitting here finding counterpoints to their their to their storyline to their narrative because Nobody trusts them. Nobody trusts them. And maybe someone like me would be sitting here anyways because of everything else that's going on. But we have such a rise in animus against their narrative. And it's quite easy. I mean, they make it easy. Honestly, they make it very easy. Anyways, okay, I'll stop interrupting. Let me, let me, yeah. Preventing war requires diplomacy. In Moscow, U.S. Ambassador John Sullivan visited the foreign ministry to receive a new Russian document that said, we welcome the readiness of the United States for appropriate consultations, a reference to U.S. offers to discuss arms control, military exercises, and missile deployments. But the document added, this work cannot replace the settlement of key problems. That's a reference to Russian demands already rejected, that NATO refrain from any further enlargement, including Ukraine roll back to before NATO expanded in the late 1990s to former Soviet satellites and states, 
and pledged not to deploy missiles near Russia's borders. Moscow also acknowledged today that last week it kicked out Deputy U.S. Chief of Mission Bart Gorman, the embassy's number two. But this morning, Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov said there's still room for diplomacy. We will continue talks on all aspects of our proposals. And for more, we're joined by Victoria Newland, the Under Secretary of State for Political Affairs. Victoria Newland, welcome back to the News Hour. President Biden today said that Russia could launch war, quote, within the next several days. What are you seeing that leads to that conclusion? Nick, as my secretary said at the United Nations today, we are seeing uh, Russian forces not moving back from the front, but in fact moving forward and more forces coming in every day. We're seeing them moving into ready positions. We are seeing Spetsnaz units uh, at the ready. We are seeing large amounts of aviation, large amounts of naval power surrounding Ukraine. And we are starting to see the kinds of pretexts that the secretary was warning about today, including the bombing of the kindergarten unbelievable uh, by Russian-backed separatists today. Uh, on the number of pretexts that the Secretary of State listed that we heard in, in our piece, one uh, caught our eye. He said that Russia could use chemical weapons as a pretext for war. What's your evidence for that? Well, these are the kinds of things that Russia is predicting that the Ukrainians would do. And this is a tried and true Russian technique. Accuse the other guy of doing exactly what you yourself are planning to do. Whoa, 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 Victoria. Whoa. Pump your brakes, girl. Pump your brakes. Okay. Did she just say what I think she said? You guys heard it just like I did, right? What's your proof, Victoria Newland? What's your proof? Now, this is the same lady in that one documentary that was out on the streets of Ukraine. And she's like, hi, I'm Victoria. Do you want some bread? And the women were like, no. <laughs> this is the, the, oh my goodness. Okay, so we'll, we'll dig into her a little bit more. But that's their proof. It's just like Ned Price all, all over again. Well, it, it's, it, the proof is that I'm telling you. The proof is that I'm sharing this information with you. The proof is that this is what Russia does. They project onto people exactly what they're going to do and then blame it on them. They make this way too easy, guys. Like, really? Like, I'm sorry, but we don't live in the fourth dimension anymore, honey. Okay? We can kind of see right through you. I mean, that just really made me stop. I was like, she did not just say that. <laughs> I was like, she did not just say that on international TV. Well, I guess this is national TV. Anyways, okay, guys. Is oh, my goodness, these freaking swamp creatures. Now, whether they would actually be as uh, brutal as to use chemical weapons or just make it look like the chemical weapons had been used. That's one of the pretexts that we want to warn the world about uh, because it is in their playbook and we could see it in the next couple of days. Uh, I might add that using chemical weapons is, was also, it was in, it was in uh, Bashar, like uh, from Assyria, it was in his playbook too, right? 
And he was so effective at using chemical weapons that the reporters from CNN can go over there and smell that mustard gas and live to talk about it, right? I mean, so effective. Like, this is exactly what they did in Syria also, okay? And let's not forget about the bombing of the babies and the incubators. Do you notice, like, they're, pu- they're pushing, they're pushing these, these, uh, these pressure points and these emotional buttons. Like, this is the game that Newland is playing on this news, and they employ her for it. They're like, okay, we're losing the narrative. Let's bust out Newland. She's been behind the scenes doing whatever we need for her to do. And now we're going to, and she's going to come out and she's going to play the heartstrings strings and she's playing those heartstrings guys i mean as pericardital as those heartstrings are at this point it doesn't matter the point of the matter is terrible how could anyone bomb a kindergarten class and this is what they do they 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 and then they say it's ukraine that's doing it but it's always been in russia's playbook it's never been in the deep state playbook it's never been in the in the playbook of us globalist allies We've never done anything like this. No one in any three or four or five letter agency or whatever number eyeball they are has ever done this before or thought about this. Only the Russians could, I guess only the Syrians could do it too. And only the Taliban could dream this stuff up. And only the people in Iran could think about these things. Never the deep state. Victoria Newland. And certainly, as I pointed out, RT uh, has been talking about chemical weapons. Uh, but I think uh, you've gotten this question before. It's important to ask, why should we trust U.S. intelligence uh, when, of course, it's been wrong in the past? Uh, and as you know, many Russian-Ukrainian experts who I talked to uh, doubt that Putin would benefit or even be able to occupy Ukraine and conduct regime change. Well, Nick, as you know, we've been warning about uh, these Russian military plans since November. We started warning when there were 50,000 troops around Ukraine's borders. And then our warnings got stronger when there were 100,000 troops around Ukraine's borders. And then when they moved 30,000 troops through Belarus, we warned again. And now we're up to 150,000 troops, including very high-tech weapons and, as I said, these Spesnaz forces. Uh, So... You know, we are depending, obviously, on our intelligence, but it's being borne out by what we're seeing on the ground, unfortunately. Spetsnaz, of course, uh, Russian special operations forces um, that we've seen uh, in Ukraine in the past. Uh, And just to put a point on this, of course, we do hear that the Russians say that they are going to end exercises uh, in the Black Sea and in Belarus in the next few days. Is that the critical moment? Is that what you're fearing? that those Russian troops won't actually end those exercises and instead will be used for an invasion. Absolutely, Nick. Uh, as, as Secretary Blinken said today, they have everything in theater ready to go. And if they want to prove to the world that that is not their intention, they can say unequivocally that they have no intention of invading Ukraine. And they can begin pulling back those forces, those aircraft, those ships, and come to the diplomatic table. On the diplomatic table, uh, are there off-ramps? Russia delivered a a letter today. We reported a little bit about what it said. Is it, do you believe, an opening for diplomacy? And has Foreign Minister Lavrov agreed to meet Secretary Blinken, as Blinken invited him to next week? Uh, We have not yet had a response uh, to Secretary Blinken's offer of this morning to Secretary Lavrov, to Minister Lavrov, to meet anywhere of his choosing in Europe next week. We hope he will accept that. Uh, There 
is grounds both in the U.S. proposal and in the Russian proposal for us to work seriously on arms control, on military deconfliction, on restraints. Um, the Russians, in fact, in their document today, uh, said that they wanted to talk about some of these things, particularly intermediate-range nuclear weapons and short-range nuclear weapons and missile defenses. So let's come to the diplomatic table and talk, and let's pull back forces from Ukraine. It's hard to read some of these messages. They are mixed. Uh, while the letter did say that they wanted to talk about those topics at the same time, it said that the U.S. had not uh, responded to positively the core demand uh, about NATO's future and Ukraine's future. So bottom line, do you believe that that letter is an opening to diplomacy or not? Nick, I believe that the United States and our allies have to take every opening we possibly can to try to get the Russians to the table and to try to avert a war that will be incredibly bloody for Ukraine, for Russia, incredibly dangerous for Europe, for peace and security around the world, and would really draw new dividing lines like we haven't seen since I was young and you were even younger. So we have to try uh, to get Russia back to the diplomatic table. But as you said at the beginning of your segment here, uh, a lot of Russia's uh, unacceptable demands remain. Um, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't try talking and try closing the gaps. But they have to de-escalate if they're serious about diplomacy rather than war. Washington especially and, and London behind it have been very aggressive at releasing um, Russian military assessments, Russian military plans. Uh, do you believe that can make Putin sweat, uh, change his calculus? Uh, because there's not a lot of history of Putin changing his behavior after being called out. Well, as you know, Nick, Putin loves the element of surprise. Uh, that's what he was able to achieve when he jumped into Crimea in 2014 and some of his other moves uh, the last time uh, we saw uh, him escalate in Ukraine. So what we've tried to do here is not only um, remove from his toolkit the element of surprise, make sure that the Ukrainians and our allies and partners are ready, but also that the international community sees this bag of dirty tricks that he and the Kremlin have used so often and recognizes them. You know, today's example was a prime one where when the kindergarten was hit with those awful pictures, definitely based on the trajectory of the missiles by Russian proxies uh, in the Donbass, uh, they were unable to succeed in gaining traction that this came from the Ukrainians because we had prepared people. So we will continue to do that. Um, and unfortunately, we believe that our intelligence is being borne out here. But there is still Okay, yada, yada, yada. We have to, okay, we have to listen, okay, guys, because Newland has been involved in Ukraine for more than a decade, Okay. She's been involved in being instrumental to the entire destabilization of the area all the way back to Maiden, guys, the coup, all right, that happened in 2014. All right. Now, another thing about this woman is that she's telegraphing their moves. All right. You heard again, and she's being she's being rolled out for a reason here, ladies and gentlemen. She might be nothing when it's face to face here in America and on the ground. But over there, she's 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 one of the major players that you don't hear about. You don't see about you don't know about. But we're going to take a look at Newland and what she has done in her time. OK, um, but again, and I don't know if I have the report 
uh, the 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 report for this. I mean, because I saw so I was looking at so much stuff today, but there's one where they're talking about this whole shelling of this this kindergarten class, right? Again, this is a heartstrings moment. You have Russia saying it was Ukraine who did it to provoke the war. You have Ukraine saying it was Russia who did it. You have the deep state saying it was Russia who you just heard her say it. We're we're afraid that we're seeing our intelligence be born out here. We don't even have to rely on our intelligence reports because we're seeing it ourselves. Okay? When you have President Zelensky saying Putin could have 100,000. Putin could have 150,000. That's not enough for a full-scale invasion of our country. So you calm your butt down and stop, you know, like, stop, like, uh, being an, a sensationalist. You know, Putin has said, I mean, uh, Zelensky has said this, you know. But here you have Newland saying beyond a shadow of a doubt, based on the trajectory that this shell landed inside of the kindergarten, it had to have come from Russia separatists. When in the report I saw from the other side of the world, they said we can't figure out based on trajectory who this came from. So she just straight up lied, okay? Why should we listen to her? That's why. Because she is a lie and a mother of a lie, and she's there for a reason. And it's important that we hear these things. Okay, so let's check this one out. Uh, Here's, okay, here's, here, let's get to, let's talk about Newland, guys. Let's talk a little bit about Newland. Let's see what kind of damage this woman has done in Ukraine and why she's being put on the TV screen at this point. And it's because this woman has to do a lot with the regime change in that area. Now, what was the regime change going on back then? It was in trying to get Poroshenko in. It was in trying to get uh, a, a democrat- democratically or duly elected president out, and they managed to do that. So uh, this article here, U.S. regime change operation in Ukraine exposed in leak diplomatic phone call. Hmm, could be interesting. A leaked phone conversation between Victoria Newland, Assistant Secretary of State for European and Eurasian Affairs, and Jeffrey Pyatt, the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, has exposed the anti-democrat, anti-democratic and colonialist character of the Obama administration's intervention in the former Soviet Republic. The discussion between the two officials includes a detailed review of which right-wing opposition figures Washington uh, is working to install in office and how it is using the United Nations to rubber stamp the operation. While Germany and other European powers have worked closely with the Obama administration in promoting the violent protests against Peter Victor, uh, sorry, President Viktor Yanukovych, the leaked phone call reveals tension between the imperialist powers. At one point, Newland tells Pyatt, F the European Union. The discussion posted anonymously on YouTube underscores the thoroughly cynical character of Washington's public diplomacy, the Obama administration's rhetoric about democracy and the Ukrainian people's right to determine their own future is a charade concocted for public consumption. Behind the scenes, government officials speak frankly with one another about the real agenda advancing Washington's geostrategic and economic interests in Eastern Europe by installing pro-United States and anti-Russian puppet puppet figures in the Ukrainian capital. The phone conversation between Assistant Secretary of State Newland and Ambassador Pyatt apparently took place late last month. After President Viktor Yanukovych offered the posts of Prime Minister and Deputy Prime Minister to opposition leaders Arsenia Yatsenyuk and Vitaly Klitschko, respectively, 
referring to Klitschko, head of the UDAR strike party, which has close financial ties with Germany's ruling conservative party. Newland tells the ambassador, I don't think Klitsch should go into the government. I don't think it's necessary. I don't think it's a good idea. Pai agrees, saying let him stay out and do his political homework. Newland continues, Yatsenyuk is the guy that, uh, that who's got the economic experience, the governing experience. Pyatt later warns Newland that Klitschko has been the top dog within the opposition and that she will need to move fast on all of this stuff and speak with the UDAR leader as part of their personality management of the opposition leader. The utter criminality of Washington's drive to install a pliant regime in Kiev sharply emerges in Newland and Pyatt's discussion of Ole Tianibuk, the leader of the neo-fascist all-Ukrainian union, Svoboda, the Svoboda party. Newland describes Tianibuk as one of the big three within the opposition leadership. The State Department operative goes on to tell Pyatt that what Yatsenyuk needs after he is installed in office is Klitsch and Tianibuk on the outside. He needs to be talking to them four times a week. These remarks confirm that there is no confusion whatsoever within the Obama administration that is work that it is working in partnership with fascists movements in Ukraine. Tianibuk is the leader of the Svoboda Party, which was initially called the Social National Party of Ukraine and featured a neo-Nazi logo. In 2004, Tianibuk raised right-wing Ukrainian partisans in world praised right-wing Ukrainian partisans in World War II who declared who he declared did not fear but took up their automatic rifles going into the woods to fight Muscovites, Germans, Jewry and other filth. He added that Ukraine still had to be liberated from a Moscow Jewish mafia. In 2005, Tianibuk signed an open letter to Ukrainian leaders demanding a halt to the criminal activities or organized Jewry, which he declared was attempting to commit genocide against the Ukrainian people. This is one of the big three figures with whom the uh, Barry Sotero administration, Obama administration, is working to install a client regime in Ukraine. Yesterday, Newland met with several opposition leaders, among them Ole Tianibuk, no details of the discussion have been made public, but Ambassador Pyatt released a via Twitter a photo of a smiling Newland posing next to the pro-Nazi leader and his colleagues. Yesterday's meeting between Newland and Tianibuk was not the first. The two also held a closed-door discussion when she was previously in Ukraine last December. After that meeting, Newland staged a photo opportunity in the Kiev Central Square that has served as the headquarters for the anti-government protests organized by the right-wing opposition, handing out bread to the demonstrators in a show of U.S. support. And they would not take her bread! <laughs> we saw the video. She's like, would you like some bread? And they're like, no. <laughs> Man, they put their hands up quick and ran away. Uh, it says, in her, phone tele- in her telephone conver- conversation with Piat, um, Newland praises UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon for deploying a special envoy, Robert Seri, to Ukraine. This, she explains, will be great, I think, to help glue this thing, the new government, together. This remark underscores the role played by the UN as an instrument of imperialism, working with the United States and its allies to cover up or endorse their predatory operations around the world. Okay, so at this point, ladies and gentlemen, i tell you what we're going to do. We're not going to, ah, geez Louise. We're not just going to read about it. 
we're going to listen to it. What you say, mate? What do you think? Uh, I think we're in play. Um, the the uh, Klitschko piece is obviously the complicated electron here, um, especially the announcement of him as deputy prime minister. And, and you've seen some of my notes on the troubles in the marriage right now. So we're trying to get a read really fast on where he is on this stuff. But I think your argument to him, which you'll need to make, I think that's the next phone call we want to set up, is exactly the one you made to, to Yachts. And I, I'm glad you sort of put him on the spot on where he fits in this scenario. And I'm very glad he said what he said in response. Good. So uh, I don't think Cleach should go into the government. I don't think it's necessary. I don't think it's a good idea. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess you think what in terms of him not going into the government, just let him sort of stay out and do his political homework and stuff. I'm just thinking in terms of sort of the process moving ahead, we want to keep the moderate Democrats together. The problem is going to be Tony Book and his guys. And, you know, I'm sure that's part of what Yanukovych is calculating on all of this. Um, I'm I, kinda, I, I just, I think Yatz is the guy who's got the economic experience, the governing experience. He's he's the guy, you know, what he needs is Cleach and Tony Book on the outside. He needs to be talking to them four times a week, you know. I, I, I just think Cleach going in, he's going to be at that level working for Yatsenyuk. It's just not going to work. Yeah, no, I think that's, you know? I think that's right. Okay. Good. Well, do you want us to try to set up a call with him as the next step? My understanding from that call, but you tell me, was that the big three were going into their own meeting and that Yats was going to offer in that context a, a three-way, you know, the three-plus-one conversation or three-plus-two with you. Is that not how you understood it? No, I think, I mean, that's what he proposed, but I think just knowing the dynamic that's been with them where um, Klitschko has been the top dog, he's going to take a while to show up for whatever meeting they've got, and he's probably talking to his guys at this point, so... I think you reaching out directly to him helps with the personality management among the three, and it, and it gives you also a chance to move fast on all this stuff and put us behind it, behind it before they all sit down and he, um, he explains why he doesn't like it. Okay, good. I'm happy. Why don't you reach out to him and see if he wants to talk before or after? Okay, will do. Thanks. Okay, I've now written – oh, one more wrinkle for you, Jeff. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember if I told you this or if I only told Washington this, that when I talked to Jeff Feltman this morning, he had a new name for the UN guy, Robert Seri. Did I write yeah. you that this morning? Yeah, okay. I saw that. He, he's now gotten both Seri and Ban Ki-moon to agree that Seri could come in Monday or Tuesday. Okay. So that would be great, I think, to help glue this thing and have the UN help glue it and, you know, fuck the EU. No, exactly. And I think we've got to do something to make it stick together because you can be pretty sure that if it does if it does start to gain altitude, the Russians will be working behind the scenes to try to torpedo it. And again, the fact that this is out there right now, I'm still trying to figure out in my mind why Yanukovych that. But in the meantime, there's a party of regions faction meeting going on right now, and I'm sure there's a lively argument going on in that group at this point. But uh, anyway, we could uh, we could land jelly side up on this one if we move fast. So let me work on let me work on Klitschko, and if you can just keep, I, I think we want to try to get somebody with an international personality to 
um, come out here and help to midwife this thing. And then the other, the other issue is some kind of outreach to Yanukovych, but we probably regroup on that tomorrow as we see how things start to fall into place. So on that piece, Jeff, uh, when I wrote the note, uh, Sullivan's come back to me, uh, VFR, saying you need Biden, and I said probably tomorrow for an attaboy and to get the deets to stick. So okay. Biden's willing. Okay, great. All right. Thanks. Okay. All right. So, well, there you go. That is leaked uh, phone call between these uh, crazy characters. Now, um, that in case you guys are wondering, because I was wondering myself, who all the, like that big muscle head, that guy was Vitaly Klitschko. Okay. And then, uh, I mean, he's the one that stands out mainly because he was with Sylvester Stallone and he was with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Okay. And these are all the guys that are like, you know, the, the, some of them are part with the neo-Nazis. Some of them are installed, controlled opposition, etc. Okay. So let's take a look at this last article from, uh, this one's from Consortium News. And this one is uh, also uh, kind of uh, closing in on a lot of the mess that Victoria Newland made over there in Ukraine. In fact, the name of the article is The Mess That Newland Made. All right. So, and this is just one of them. I said that they're rolling out again, guys. We got one more and then uh, I think we'll wrap it up for the show. We've already gone a little bit longer than I was expecting to tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, but um, let's go ahead and just let's just let's stay on the ball while we're on it, guys, and try not to fall off. Uh, that's what I say to myself anyways. OK, so this article here from Consortium News, the mess that Newland made. It says, uh, let's see here. Uh, Assistant Secretary of State Victoria Newland engineered Ukraine's regime change in early 2014 without weighing the likely chaos and consequences. Now, as neo-Nazis turned their guns on the government, it's hard to see how anyone can clean up the mess that Newland made. Okay, so, uh, yeah, they're rolling this woman out again. Okay, guys, like orchestrating regime change is not small potatoes. So it says, as the Ukrainian army squares off against ultra-right and neo-Nazi militias in the West and violence against ethnic Russians continues in the East, the obvious folly of the Obama administration's Ukraine policy has come into focus even for many who try to ignore the facts, or what you might call the mess that Victoria Newland made. Assistant Secretary of State for European Affairs, Toria Newland, uh, was the mastermind behind the February 22nd, 2014 regime change in Ukraine, plotting the overthrow of the democratically elected government of President Viktor Yan Yan Yanukovych, while convincing the ever-gullible U.S. mainstream media that the coup was not really a coup, but a victory for democracy. All right, and now and now they're shelling kindergarten uh, classes and uh, and and uh, you know. Uh, what Russia does is Russia projects all their sins and blames it on people. And, and that's, that's Russia's MO, right? Not the deep state, right? Victoria Newland, right? Like we're that dumb. Okay. Assistant Secretary of State for European Affairs, Victoria Newland, who pushed for the Ukrainian coup and helped pick the post-coup leaders. That's what the caption says. To sell this latest neocon-driven regime change to the American people, the ugliness of the coup makers had to be systematically airbrushed, particularly the key role of neo-Nazis and other ultra-nationalists from the right sector. For the U.S. organized propaganda campaign to work, the coup makers had to wear white hats, not brown shirts. 
So for nearly a year and a half, the West's mainstream media, especially the New York Times and the Washington Compost, twisted their reporting into all kinds of contortions to avoid telling their readers that the new regime in Kiev was permeated by and dependent on neo-Nazi fighters and Ukrainian ultra-nationalists who wanted a pure-blood Ukraine without ethnic Russia, uh, ethnic Russians. Any mention of that sordid reality was deemed Russian propaganda, and anyone who spoke this inconvenient truth was a stooge of Moscow. It wasn't until July 7th that the Times admitted the importance of the neo-Nazis and other ultra-nationalists in waging war against ethnic Russian rebels in the East. The Times also reported that these far-right forces had been joined by Islamic militants. Some of those jihadists had been called brothers of the hyper-brutal Islamic State. Though the Times sought to spin this remarkably remarkable military alliance, a neo-Nazi militias, and Islamic jihadists as a positive, the reality had to be jarring for readers who had bought into the Western propaganda about noble pro-democracy forces resisting evil Russian aggression. Perhaps the Times sensed that it could no longer keep the lid on the troubling truth in Ukraine. For weeks, the right sector militias and the neo-Nazi Azov Battalion have been warning the civilian government in Kiev that they might turn on it and create a new order more to their liking. Now, what do we say at the onset of this? Ukraine is apparently uh, bankrolling... (laughs) These same jerks who turned on them and their Nazis and all of the like in order to hold the Donbass region. It makes no sense. Why do they have neo-Nazis, far-right ultra-nationalists protecting uh, Luhansk and Donetsk? Why don't they have the Ukrainian military in there? Why don't they have that going on? If it is really Ukraine and they're they're not just, you know, like trying to uh, trying to be separatists or whatever. Like, why don't they have their own military in there? Why do they have to have the same people? And if it's the same people from 2014, does it stand to reason that quite possibly the Ukraine side of this conflict is being orchestrated by the deep state globalist? filth i mean okay and so but at the same time you can't have it both ways because i don't think that russia would be sending in their own troops and bankrolling the separatists to uh inflate conflate the conflict if it's controlled on both sides by the deep state do you get what i'm saying like because that would mean that the deep state really does have control of this area and I don't think that's the case. I think you got... I think it's it's more possible that you have actual Russian troops and interests in those two sectors, those two uh, sovereign nations, if you want to say that, um, fighting with these deep state proxy armies. That They're saying that they're Ukrainian, but they're neo-Nazis. It makes no sense, guys. It makes no sense. Poor Zelensky, per per Zelensky. Man, that guy, huge... <sighs> They man, they are making a toilet bowl out of him. Let me tell you, he's taking everyone's ish. You know what I mean? <laughs> Poor Zelensky. Per per Zelensky. Okay. Let's finish this up, guys, so we can get to bed. Clashes in the West. Then on Saturday, violent clashes broke out in the western Ukrainian town of Mukachevo. Uh 
Allegedly over the control of cigarette smuggling routes, right sector paramilitary sprayed police officers with bullets from a belt-fed machine gun, and police backed uh, by Ukrainian government troops returned fire. Several deaths and multiple injuries were reported. Actually, you know what, guys? I think we can... I think you guys get the picture, right? Like, I don't think we need to get into the bloody violence of this. Um, But I think you guys get the picture. And then it goes into some history of violent neocon regime change. Um, So, yeah, we'll we'll go ahead and save that one for homework. JK, we don't do homework here. I do all the homework. I get... (laughs) But we'll we'll go ahead and move off this one. Okay, so you guys get the idea with Newland, right? You guys get the like they're rolling out their same old deep rats, deep state rats, you know, to push this narrative forward. I think that means that they're getting ready to go to another level with this. And I don't know. Something inside me says that it's just going to blow up in their faces somehow. I feel like this is all going to blow up in their faces. And you know what the best part is about it, guys? Is that when this blows up in their faces, they will all be in the spotlight. They'll be like, but Victoria, you said Victoria. Victoria, you just said the Russians are the ones that uh, use chemical weapons and uh, throw, uh, you know, shells at uh, bombshells at freaking, you know, kindergarten, uh, you know, classes like bring them out bring them on out here's another one fiona hill ladies and gentlemen just like we got good old jake sullivan heading up this whole ukraine process jake sullivan the known liar jake sullivan the guy who used to be what clinton's uh what national international security person or whatever you guys know i don't i don't need to be so specific with you guys you know jake sullivan's a lying liar you know that his wife is currently in charge of the uh durham uh, overseeing the durham investigation she needs to recuse herself i don't know if she has but last i heard she was supposed to all right guys so let's talk about fiona hill they're rolling her out too you guys remember fiona hill right Fiona Hill, she's the one who lied during the impeachment trial of fair President Donald Trump, Fiona Hill. Uh, Let me see here. Uh, We're definitely not going to listen to all of this, guys, because let me tell you what. This woman is a heavy breather with intestinal woe. Let's just... (laughs) And look at... She's she's hanging out with the German version of Rachel Maddow. <laughs> we'll just listen to a little bit of this, guys. I'm not going to make you sit through this entire thing. Uh, this is the worst and best case scenarios in Ukraine with lying liar Fiona Hill. Okay, and we'll. We, I'm not going to make you sit through all of this. Okay, so anyways, let's let's just see what the rat has to say. Let's see what the rat has to say. Dr. Fiona Hill is one of the premier experts on Russian foreign policy. She made headlines after testifying against former President Trump during his second impeachment trial. Lately, she has become extremely critical for how the new German government has addressed the growing crisis at the Ukraine border. Dr. Hill, thank you very much for speaking with us today. Sorry, guys. I just wanted you to be able to see this woman like... It looks so like official. Look, and then and then <laughs> and then look at what she's she's wearing. Oh my god, look, watch. <laughs> I don't know why that's just so funny to me. She looks like a mix between Rachel Maddow and Jamie Lee Curtis. Anyways, let let okay, let's get serious here. Let's get serious.
do you think that if President Trump would still be in office, would be at the same crisis level at the Ukraine border as we are right now? I mean, it's hard to say whether, um, you know, the US-Ukraine uh, dynamic would have would have changed with the um, advent of um, a Trump administration. And, you know, partly we'd have to kind of be playing out under what circumstances, because, you know, we also know that here in the United States, if Trump had stayed in power uh, after 2020, it would have been the result of a... Um, uh, basically a coup attempt. So Russia might have seen this as an opportunity to make a move on Ukraine without um, basically expecting any kind of response from the United States or um, uh, Europe, for example, or at least not in tandem. But what is concerning to Putin is the idea that Russia has lost Ukraine, so to speak, on his watch since he has been the president of the Russian Federation. And we've seen many attempts by uh, Putin and the Kremlin to bring Ukraine back into the orbit. And of course, he's responding in large part to the offer that was made by uh, NATO to Ukraine and Georgia in 2008, that they would be at some point members. NATO exercises, joint NATO exercises uh, with uh, Ukraine. Uh, the uh, efforts of President Zelensky to move away uh, from, uh, you know, closer relationship economically, uh, as well as politically with uh, Moscow and look uh, more towards the association uh, with Europe and Ukraine's general drift in a European direction. So there could have been easily some other trigger that would have uh, basically uh, got Putin's attention and made him decide to take uh, this occasion as a move against Ukraine. I just, just if I might un un interrupt yeah, you, to yeah. be come back to that, I just want to stick for one more que question with Trump. Some say, some Trump supporters obviously, say that with Trump in office, with his, his Trump's anti-NATO course, uh, Putin would have kind of not d done what he did right now. What do you make of that? Well, I think this is about Russia itself. I mean, yes, absolutely. Putin has three demands that he's made about Ukraine, uh, about NATO and no further NATO expansion, and about the United States in Europe. Uh, one of the things that uh, President Trump was considering doing beyond NATO was having bilateral security arrangements with other countries. That wouldn't necessarily have involved Ukraine, of course, but Poland. For example, President Trump was talking about removing troops from Germany and putting them in Poland. That would be completely antithetical to anything that Russia would have wanted. That could have been a trigger, for example. And also, President Trump tried to privatise policy toward Ukraine. He tried to force uh, President Zelensky to open up uh, basically investigations into Joe Biden, his son Hunter Biden, uh, basically to uh, investigate them for corruption. And that put Ukraine as part of U.S. domestic politics. Russia wants Ukraine as part of its domestic politics. Putin would have... So you guys notice how she's still spinning the same old big lie there, right? She's, she's still saying quid pro Joe was Trump. But I thought Victoria Newland said that Russia is the one that does that, not America. Isn't that, isn't that amazing, guys? Like, is this woman or this lizard creature just so disconnected that she doesn't realize that everyone in America has already figured out that that didn't happen and that the Ukraine phone call was actually between Poroshenko and Biden and that uh, Biden's the one that got, uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, threatened him with withholding like a billion dollars? 
and then and then they want to keep on spinning this uh, this this story that it actually had to do with uh, with trying to open up a case onto Biden when we know that Rudy Giuliani was investigating that even before even before any of that occurred okay because there were interests in uh, DC and in in uh, Ukraine that were looking into this because we also read the reports about uh, Obama's own administration raising concerns about Biden being uh, the son, being the father of someone who is now on the uh, on the board of a corrupt, a known corrupt fake business. Well, it wasn't fake business, but a known corrupt business by way of Burisma Holdings. Like all of this is known, Miss Fiona Hill. But I guess that's why you're a liar. What was that again? Falsus in Unos, right? Okay, just a little bit more, y'all. Seen the United States as a very weak player internationally uh, in uh, any event under President Trump. We saw a lot of chaos on the domestic front, but a, a President Trump who was focused on China and not a, about Europe. And he may have thought that then, well, nobody's watching Ukraine, nobody cares about Ukraine. And I want to make sure that Ukraine is back in the fold. The United States is weak. You know, there have been um, a great deal of infighting in the United States over Trump staying in power. Europe would have had a rift uh, with um, uh, basically the United States as well. And Putin would have looked at Ukraine. And uh, as he wants to bring Ukraine back into the fold, he's created this idea, this myth, this narrative that Ukraine is intrinsically part of Russia. So I think it's ridiculous to say if Trump was still in power, nothing would have happened because that wouldn't change Russia and Putin's views about Ukraine. Trump is not in power. Uh, uh, Biden, President Biden is in power and he is clearly back also in a leader seat when it comes to NATO. Let's talk a little bit of the response of maybe NATO first and then specifically uh, about Germany. What do you make of, of the way NATO uh, is responding to this current crisis? NATO is responding as it only can, which is to, I mean, basically say that this idea of coercive diplomacy, a you know, strategy of compellence by taking Ukraine hostage and threatening to invade at any moment is not going to change NATO's positions uh, or its relationships with Russia. And if, of course, there is a de-escalation of tensions, then there can be some discussions, in fact, about the longer term relationship between NATO and Russia. I mean, basically what Russia is saying is that if NATO uh, doesn't uh, agree and make an ironclad agreement for further expansion, then it's going to destroy Ukraine. Well, that would set an enormous precedent, not just for NATO and for European security, but globally, that basically any other country that has a preponderance of military power and has designs on its neighbour could do exactly the same thing. Do you think uh, NATO will ever commit on not uh, having one or another country as a new member? Question one. And do you think Ukraine will ever become a NATO member? that what NATO can do, which is what the European Union has done, right? Which has put a moratorium on accession. Um, I mean, what has the European Union done um, recently? It's basically said that it's not going to expand for X period of time uh, because of the difficulties that it's in facing internally. I mean, dealing with Brexit, but, you know, dealing with challenges internally among the members that are already there. That's NATO could do that. But doing it under an atmosphere of compellence of you know, coercive action is very difficult. So Putin's actually making it more difficult for NATO to do this rather than less. We've heard enough from her. Okay, what Victoria Newland had to say was way more important than what this woman has to say. Okay, 
Uh, so you're not missing out on a whole lot, but uh, she's a lying liar, guys. I mean, you're really not missing out on a whole lot. And this is a 20-minute interview, so we're not going to watch it. So sorry, okay? Uh, let's see. You know, as soon as the brand new C-Report website is up, all of these links will be here in case you guys want to go back and watch them. Now, we're going to touch on this briefly because we're running out of time, guys. I'm already way past my bedtime, okay? So uh, let's just let's just let's just have a little reminisce about Fiona Hill because all of these people are back of mind and they're starting to come forward again. And I mean, it's to me, it's going to serve its purpose. They're digging them back out, right? They're digging them back out for the fall, in my opinion. But uh, what do I know? Russia scammer Fiona Hill pushes more Russia BS on CNN and proves she's a pompous dunce. <laughs> Oh, what could this be? Yeah, back when she was a little bit younger, right? Okay, it says here, uh, Fiona Hill was the star witness for the Democrat representative Adam Schiff's impeachment show trial. This State Department, Deep State Department employee was the BFF of the Steel Dossiers PSS and is more Russian than most Russians. Uh, with uh, Hill was on CNN, still pushing Russia, 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 just like she's still pushing uh, dossier. To, no, wait, she's still pushing a uh, telephone call, telephone call, telephone, the Russian phone call. Let's see. And, that, and this is like, what, years later now. So it says CNN started the interview by claiming that the FBI and CIA both are reporting that Russia is attempting to interfere in the 2020 election and prevent Biden from winning. CNN claimed Trump is going easy on Russia and then asked deep state operative Fiona Hill and unimpressive Fiona Hill her thoughts. She said, I think that the president's view is that everything rests upon the chemistry at the two people at the top in any of these relationships. And I think you can see the president acting the same way when it comes to dealing with Xi Jinping, China, Kim Jong-un of North Korea, a whole host of other leaders. Not only is Hill dishonest and corrupt, she's not very impressive. She also thinks highly of herself because she thinks she knows better how to handle deals with foreign leaders and a billionaire who's done uh, who's done deals his entire life. Okay, and then let's see here. Uh, let's uh, give us a little bit more about her background. Here we go. Uh, it was discovered in July that uh, Fiona Hill is a close associate of the primary subsource for the Steele dossier, Igor Danchenko, who has now been indicted, who has a 30-something page indictment, uh, and the individual behind him, uh, behind most of the made-up lies in the Steele dossier. He was a discredited source. The guy made it up. Everyone knew it. They knew it at the time. And yeah, well, he's he's been indicted. Yeah, he's one of the two major ones that went out with uh, John Durham. Danchenko is the one individual those looking into uh, Danchenko is the one individual those looking into the Trump Russia collusion fraud were after the primary subsource, the individual who was behind the material amount of the Steele dossier lies since proven liar. Since proven discredited. All right. Uh, so Fiona Hill was his buddy. Uh, the connection to Fiona Hill is huge because it showed that Adam Schiff's disgusting unconstitutional impeachment proceedings with his star witness Fiona Hill was closely connected to the Russian scandal and the PSS. No wonder the deep state wanted Jantinko's name hidden from the American public. Okay. 
Let's see. Uh, let's see. Apparently, uh, Roger Stone outed Fiona Hill in 2017 as a deep state spy in the White House under the NSA advisor General H.R. Uh, McMaster. The George Soros connected con- uh, connected traitor was outed by Israeli spies, as was reported by Stone at uh, at Info S'mores. <laughs> According to a resume, Fiona Hill worked with uh, worked for the George Soros Open Society Institute from 2000 to 2006, just 13 years ago uh, from the date of this report. Author Diana West provided us some excellent analysis on Fiona Hill during the Schiff impeachment charade. In the first uh, in the first of her three essays on Hill, West shares the following on the Republican response to Schiff's sham and Hill's response to the questions. Reluctant or unable to imagine the war in these terms, Republicans have rallied and as have rallied as misdirected in Adam Schiff's kangaroo court of an impeachment inquiry. They did not call out the treason all around or even stand up on their hind legs and ask Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman if the intelligence official he admitted leaking the Trump Zelensky phone call to was as reported Eric whistleblower uh, Chiaramella or Ciaramella of the CIA. By the way, in her October 14th deposition, Fiona Hill, another Star Chamber witness this week, forgot that it was Ciaramella who was the NSC Ukraine director when she joined the White House. Hill clearly lied. She knew the fake whistleblower in the impeachment sham, Eric Ciaramella, as well as the Steele dossier PSS PSS. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Now, I think we could probably wrap this up here, guys. Now, I'll have to apologize. Um, we're not going to get into the Donbass histories of things. But I think this would be a good place to end the night because, uh, as was mentioned in that sham interview that we just witnessed about four to five minutes of, uh, they're talking about the difference between uh, Trump and Biden in regards to Russia, Ukraine is that, well, according to Fiona Hill, you know, uh, Putin would have done this even if Trump were in power because he views the Ukraine as, uh, you know, taken away lost land of Russia. And yet there's more history to that, that we're not going to get to share with you guys tonight, but we'll leave you with this little food for thought. Uh, this article, Putin trashes Lenin for giving Russian territories to Ukraine does not necessarily say that Putin believes that Ukraine was part of Russia in toto, okay? So this contradicts the point of Fiona Hill saying, oh, well, you know, Russian uh, Putin, this insane, you know, uh, um, this insane uh, fascist leader over there in Russia, Putin thinks that Ukraine used to belong to Russia, all of it, okay? But in this article, it shows how Putin goes on to say that Ukraine was given parts of Russian territory, not Ukraine was a part of Russia, okay? Which is, again, where a lot of this uh, consternation arises when we're talking about who's on whose side and what percentage of the population is Russian and what percentage of the population is Ukrainian and who speaks what language. So anyways, we'll just end it with this food for thought for tonight, guys, because like I said... I think I went about an hour and a half overtime. Thank you all for hanging out with us. If you're live with us over at Foxhole, Pilled, Rumble, Twitch, or uh, a Clout Hub. How could I forget you guys over at Clout Hub? What's up, guys? Hope you guys are having a good night. Thank you guys for being here again. All right. Let's read this article, and we're going to call it a night, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, let's get her going.
Let's get her going. This is from Breitbart. Putin trashes Lenin for giving Russian territories to Ukraine. Russian leader Vladimir Putin lamented during his annual end-of-year conference Thursday that communist mass murderer Vladimir Lenin had made the strange decision in the establishment of the Soviet Union to place Russian territories within the Ukrainian Socialist Republic. Putin lamented that thanks to Soviet planners failing to follow divide the Union uh, failing to follow divide the Union by uh, where ethnic groups actually lived, Russia now contends with thousands of sort points of ethnic tension that require a delicate hand to diffuse. diffuse. Ukrainian officials objected to Putin's comments, particularly in the context of Putin illegally annexing part of Ukraine in 2014 and currently engaging in an ongoing invasion of Ukraine's eastern Donbass region. See, even Breitbart had this storyline going on. And, uh, well, well, we'll get a year on it in a minute. So it says, uh, Russia claims those attempting to carve an ethnic Russian state out of Donbass are independent rebels, not Russians. And any Russia participating in the civil war is a volunteer with no ties to the Russian government. Putin has traditionally held a multi-hour press conference in anticipation of the Christmas holiday where he answers questions on a variety of domestic and international affairs. The Russian news agency TASS uh, did not specify why Putin was discussing 20th century Soviet history. The longtime head of government reportedly lamented the inefficiency of Soviet planning and ethnic tensions he blamed on poor choices made by Lenin himself. No period. By his, Lenin's, by his, Lenin's decisions, ethnic groups were tied to concrete territories, and then they got the right to secede from the Soviet Union. But even the territories had been carved up in such a way that they did not always correspond and still do not coincide now with the traditional places of domicile of any given ethnicity, Putin said. Sore points sprung up right away. And they are still in place in relations between the former Soviet republics. Moreover, there are 2,000 such points inside the Russian Federation. Putin then turned to Ukraine, which he said benefited territorially by inheriting Russian territory. We have just discussed with my Ukrainian colleague our relations, but when the Soviet Union was being set up, the original ancestral Russian territories, which had never had anything to do with Ukraine, the entire Black Sea region, Russia's western lands, went to Ukraine with a strange wording to increase the percentage ratio of the proletariat in Ukraine, Putin alleged. This was a somewhat bizarre decision, but this did happen. All this is the legacy of Vladimir Ilyich Lenin's state building, and we have to grapple with this now. Of the territories that Putin already controls, he warned, if you let things, hap- if you let things go for even a second, there will be hell to pay. Putin's criticism of Lenin did not go as far as to support efforts to exhume him, which apparently also came up at the press conference. As for Lenin's body, I believe it should be left as it is, at least as long as there are those, and there are quite a few people here who link their lives, their fates, as well as certain achievements of the past, the achievements of the Soviet era with that, 
Tusk quoted Putin as saying, the news agency did not offer any context as to what the comment was a response to. Ukraine's foreign affairs ministry rapidly dismissed Putin's claims that much of Ukraine is originally Russian. We condemn any attempts by the Russian Federation to encroach on the territorial integrity of Ukraine, Deputy Foreign Minister Vasil Bodnarch said on Friday, or Bodnarchy said on Friday, making the reverse claim that much of what exists currently in Russian borders should belong to Ukraine. Let's turn to history. Who belonged to whom? Once upon a time, Moscow was subordinate, subordinated to Kiev, so let's talk about the roots, not what grew after. Former Ukrainian Secretary of the National Security and Defense Council, Alexander Turknov, uh, Turkinov went further, contending that most of modern Russia should not be governed out of Moscow. If we separate from Russia those territories that were annexed by blood, violence, betrayal, and lies, the originally Russian swamps remaining after that could easily fit within one Moscow region, he said. Russia is currently embroiled in a civil war to strip Kiev of control of Donetsk and Luhansk, the two provinces of the Donbass region, both of whom contain violent insurrections declaring each a sovereign Russian republic. Putin has claimed not to have a direct hand in the violent pro-Russian gangs of the Donbass, but has regularly equipped them with supplies, sending a 96th Russian humanitarian aid convoy into the Donbass on Friday over loud Ukrainian objections. Russia claims the convoy contains Christmas gifts, which Ukrainian officials have expressed doubt about. The Ukrainian government argues that Putin is attempting to annex Donbass the same way he did the Crimean Peninsula, which belonged to Ukraine until Russia invaded it in 2014. To ease tensions in Donbass, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky met with Putin in Paris last month with German Chancellor Angela Merkel and French President Emmanuel Macron de Cabron as intermediaries. Putin claimed he was happy with the results of the talks, while Zelensky lamented the affairs as frustrating and useless, calling Putin a difficult person to negotiate with. Yeah, I would imagine Putin probably is pretty difficult to negotiate with. But again, it's interesting the context that all of these things are written and take place, even within the independent media, ladies and gentlemen, even within the independent media. You know, because now another narrative is coming out of Breitbart. Oh, well, maybe it wasn't annexed or her. Maybe it was a referendum. Right. OK, get your context to history. This was written in uh, 2019. Oh, so not too far long ago. Huh? All right. Breitbart. But uh, well, you're missing some periods and you had some misspelled words, too. So it's OK. OK. All right. What did we have lined up for you? This was about the Donetsk Republic, the People's Republic. It was actually an inside look at the uh, the Donetsk People's Republic trying, uh, as they were actually taking over the area, this Russian uh, group here. Then we also had a little bit of history about, uh, again, the skirmishes between the Donetsk, or I'm sorry, between Ukraine and Russia over Donetsk and Luhansk. But Perhaps we'll get to that at another time, ladies and gentlemen. I've already held you guys long enough. So thank you again for your good graces and hanging out with us live here at the Sea Report as we did a little bit of a deep dive into Russia, Ukraine, NATO, and what's going on over there currently. <sighs> There's no telling what else is going to happen. But uh, anyways, guys, glad you all hung out with us tonight. If you are live with us currently, uh, 
Um, I would say don't forget if you do happen to miss any of our live broadcasts and live streams, well, you can always check us out over at the podcast, anchor.fm slash the C report, where you can get every episode in your ears and take it to go. And again, thank you guys for any of the support that you sent by way of gold pill donations. If you're over at Pilled or at Foxhole, uh, bits and subscriptions are always appreciated over at Twitch. Rumble Rants, I think that's a Rumble thing, right? Uh, can also do that. And then, of course, also you can get a hold of us uh, by way of PayPal or by way of Cash App. If you appreciate the work that we do, uh, then we definitely appreciate any donations that come this way so I can keep on doing this. Uh, we've been at it for over 250 episodes just about every day of the week uh, since February. So uh, that's of last year. So we're, we've already done one revolution around the sun. And of course, guys, share the link, spread the word. That also helps as well. Once we're all set up on Truth Social, please push push out the links to the C Report. I'm sure you guys uh, um, would, would uh, have a great and fun time doing that. I don't know. I'm, I'm very bad at selling, you know, and advertising self. But anyways, that's besides the point. All right, guys, we will be back manana. That is tomorrow with another episode of the C Report. No telling what else we have up our designer sleeves here right? Okay. Anyway, it's not designer. All right, guys, you guys have a great night. We will see you again tomorrow. And as always, be safe, be blessed. God bless America. Have a great night. We'll see you tomorrow.